from your house. It's not actually live. Podcasts are the opposite of live. We bought a live recording. Hello, welcome to We Bought a Mic. <laughs> I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. I am Drew Deedson. We got to You know, I've noticed with other shows what they do is that the main host, which I guess would be Ernest, is like here sitting here with Hunter Mobley and Drew Deedson. I'm Ernest Calderon because I don't want to say my own fucking name. Right. I get right. tired saying it. It's three I feel, syllables. I'm a guest here. Yeah, yeah. Despite the fact that we're on here every week, we're still guests. Yeah, and then at the end you go, for Drew Dietzen and Hunter Mobley, I'm I'm <laughs> Ernest Calderon, and then you do like a SNL. Are we on thing. ESPN right yeah. now? Or are you like closing out a talk show we or should, something? We should do a closeout music while I'm suggesting things on the air. Yeah. that uh, That's <laughs> like, the show, we'll everyone. Play you off. SNL. Yeah, like live <laughs> orchestral piano music. Yeah. To... It's like the, the Planned Parenthood Big Mouth ep, where at the very end it's like, thank you all yeah, for coming. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, Did you you never caught up with Big Mouth Hunter, right? No, I didn't. I I watched the whole. I I forgot to tell you, I watched the rest of season two, and it's it's amazing. It's great, man. Oh, it's, it's so, so it's so great. The 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 Steve the coach Steve app. Mm. I'm mm. going through changes. Yeah. <laughs> coach but, Steve sings the theme song. Oh, it's sick. beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, welcome to the show. We are talking the favorite. Today. The favorite. Don't uh, you dare say the favorite. It's the favorite. Uh, yeah. Um, the new Yorgos Lanthimos flick, and also the Golden Globes, and some things that we've been watching. A whole bunch of stuff to get to today. So let's just jump right in. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of going through changes. The Oscars. <laughs> Can't find a host. Yeah. Speaking of going through changes. Kevin Hart probably doesn't like people who are going through <laughs> sex changes, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, a, let's let's do shock him. jock sound you, effects. You <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> the Nick the Nick Kroll the douche Parks and Rec link is right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, how about how about old Kevin Hart? He finally they find a host. There was a big carousel of everyone saying no. Uh, you know how carousels go. <laughs> there was even a, a think no. piece of uh, the Oscars host is the job that nobody in Hollywood yeah, wants. It's a terrible job. It's, mean, a, it's an impossible job. It's the ultimate like thankless job. And really, the only times that Oscar hosts really work out is when they have a good comedian. Like, I mean, Kevin Hart wasn't going to be on this level, but think of like Billy Crystal hosting the Oscars. Like, yeah, something like oh, that. Bill Crystal back in the day. Honestly, I th- I think that Kimmel did just a fine job. I really think that he's fine. Yeah, yeah straight he's down host. the middle, and yeah. he he kept it together during the whole fiasco. He did a great job with that. Um, and they, but you know, they can't just keep old, stale, ugly ass K- Kimmel around. So yeah, they finally land on Hart. People dig out these old tweets where he's definitely homophobic. He's uh, like, what he said was, um, I I'm not gonna let my kid play with dolls because then he'll become gay and. I don't want that. Something like that. Basically, um, basically, that's what it was. So, why is this still such a problem for ABC and Disney? Like, c- come on, guys. Like, it's not really hard. Like, 
Why can't that just be somebody's job to just look through celebrities' <laughs> Twitters well, before they, they hire the them? tweet man? They didn't fire him. He stepped down. Well, yeah, they, they were like, they were like, dude, just apologize and it's fine. Yeah, which is literally what every celebrity does because most comedians have some really fucked up jokes from the past because that's the nature of comedy. It's getting more like there are less things that is are okay to say now. I'm not saying that it's okay that it's he ever said that. It's always been about getting, but, getting a rise out of people, yeah, though. Yeah, but he was not just blackballed like he's acting like. He was just asked, hey, uh, do you want to apologize for this? And he's like, he was basically like, no. He was like, I'm totally different now, and I'm not going to apologize because I look only in the in the in, you know the present and the future, and it's a gift, and that's why they call it the present. And he didn't actually say that <laughs> part, but he was acting like that. He was like, no, because I'm different. And it's like, we'll still apologize. Yeah. And yeah, then you can host the Oscars, Kevin. Yeah. And he was like, nah, I'm, no, I'm fine. So then he apologized and stepped yeah, so, down. Yeah, so he apologizes <laughs> and he's like, no, also I'm not going to host. So lose, lose for me, <laughs> idiots. <laughs> Just like fucking flipping birds while he flies into the sunset. So I'm not like super upset by this because... I know you guys probably share my sentiment, but as popular as Kevin Hart is, I am not a Kevin Hart fan whatsoever. Yeah, it would have been a very so, lukewarm. I mean, I think thing. that he could have been a fine Oscars host because I feel like in the past, usually the best people to host the Oscars are either comedians or like actual hosts, like Jimmy Kimmel, like yeah. somebody who actually has a thing. They're used to this whole thing. The worst thing that can happen is if they replace them with actors because actors are bad at hosting. Yeah, Franco things. and Hathaway. Okay. We all remember that. Yeah. That's the exception. They were amazing. <laughs> okay. They, they were so That's good. A Franco take. was stoned that is out a of take. his mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping that take today. So, the thing with Kevin Hart, um, with this whole kind of fiasco of sorts, is that if you really think about it, Hart is a huge comedian. Like he sells out um, uh, arenas and shit. Like he oh, doesn't yeah. play little clubs. He's so popular. Yeah. If he would have um, somehow come out in support of the LGBT community with with a statement right out of the gate, I guarantee you that his fan base would have hated that like he's so kind of mainstream like down the middle yeah, a lot sort of, of people guy. a lot of people would have been like wow what a pussy yeah yeah and i mean it goes without saying that like homophobia is a real problem in the black community like especially oh, yeah. with black men it's it's this ongoing issue um where if you really look at the the average uh kevin hart fan they're probably not gonna react very positively to him being pro gay and in 2018 that's really sad that's um, really fucking sad yeah that's a reality it's depressing honestly the thing is he pro i don't know if he accepted it it's not like he was like oh yes absolutely please let me host the oscars and then he went back like i'm sure he didn't really want to do it that badly anyway because why why would you want to i yeah. guess is he the wasn't question. the first phone call is he going no. to be introduced to new people by doing this no like you can only fuck up the oscars if you do a good job, no one notices. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like being like an offensive lineman. People only know your name if you're the best or if you suck. Um so look, it's not that big of an L for anyone involved. Uh Kevin's going to be just fine. Yeah. I don't think he lost many fans. I guess maybe he did, but like we already didn't like him. <laughs> it's funny that that this was probably supposed to be like the the safe choice, the oh, safe yeah. non-controversial choice. And, and not yeah. this message. Well, so he, but here's the bigger problem. So Nick Cannon comes out 
uh, you know, relevant human being, Nick Cannon. <laughs> and he's he digs up all these old tweets from Sarah Silverman, from Amy Schumer, from a bunch of female it, from a bunch Nick. of female comedians that all say like, you know, fag or gay or something like that in the past. And he's like, Well, guess what? Why aren't they canceled? But Kevin is. I guess everyone's racist and <laughs> sexist against men. Hashtag menonism. Oh god. And no. he didn't actually say that, but <laughs> no. Um and A, no one likes Amy Schumer anymore for anyway. Yeah. Uh and B, no, it could be because all of those comedians would have half a brain and would just apologize if anyone asked them to about their tweets. He was not just blacklisted immediately. He had the opportunity to apologize. <laughs> like it is such a joke. And none of them were asked to host anything. Yeah. So he just dug them up out of nowhere and he was like, guess what? They're canceled. Also, and everyone's like, No, that's what? not how it works. <laughs> that's not what happened. I don't think that um many of the tweets that were brought up were necessarily jokes it wasn't like a james gunn situation where it's like a bunch of uh, untasteful jokes like he was actually making like shitty comments about gay people like basically saying like i I don't want to raise a gay son like i don't want that i don't want my son to be gay why would i want that yeah dude and that's shit man and that's one of the uh that's one. That's going to be a long-lasting tendril of homophobia. There are a lot of people I work with who are like, "Oh yeah, like I'm totally okay with the gay people and stuff." But like, not my kid. Yo, if my son is gay, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from like four people that's that I ridiculous. work with. I work Fuck. for the Republican Party. <laughs> <laughs> You're the new chief of staff um, of Donald Trump. <laughs> but yeah, it's just. I don't know. It's all it's all a big fuss over who's going to host the show that sucks to watch, no matter who hosts it. I don't really care. Uh, it's well, just Kevin just blew it hard, honestly. I mean, now the talk is that uh, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney might be that up is for the, the best gig. thing. So in they will not. Oh yeah, but, it's a joke. But if they did, well, yeah. that would make me so happy. They, yeah, they so they started like this fake campaign yeah. um, on on Instagram and Twitter, and it's very funny to have Gil and George host. And people really think that it's serious. Like people, are, yeah, they're celebrities. People. Like yeah. they're friends. Like, oh my like God. yeah, like comedian like Ali Wong is like, holy shit, I can't believe. It's like, do you think? What what kind of a look is that? What kind of a big mood is that for the Oscars? Like, hey, we fired this guy for saying something about gay people seven years ago. Let's hire two white guys who said <laughs> that they raped people <laughs> actively. Like, those are the – you cannot – Oh, hello. But, yeah. But, I mean – it's all obviously just such an uh, intense bit for them that I feel like that would be just the greatest move in the world for them to go to and just be like, hey, so some people said some unsavory things and we fired them. We're going to get the people who make everyone as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. It would be amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm as big of a fan as I'm as, as anyone. If anything, they should be able to just host it out of character because the last two years they've done the Independent Spirit Awards yeah. and they've done a great job with it. The only problem is they're not quite big enough because they're not as I guess they're not as mainstream as yeah. a Kimmel or definitely not a Kevin Hart. Uh and then the other problem is that they're two white dudes, which yeah. is not where the tides are shifting at the moment. <laughs> we uh we got to move on, but any guesses as to who might actually get the gig? I've heard I Tiffany don't... Haddish and Maya Rudolph. I don't know if there's any actual yeah, like maybe. you know I don't care since that <laughs> I don't want to talk about this Tom anymore. Cruise Tom fucking Cruise <laughs> Tom do Cruise it. time do it you fucking pussies and, and whenever he announces every award just have him like parachuting yeah. in it's and then really... he brainwashes everyone with Scientology <laughs> yeah. it's really more about who writes it honestly yeah 
Um, yeah, that's why Andy Samberg is always a good choice. Like he just got what the Emmys or the Globes or yeah, something. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's Samberg and Sandra O oh. and Sandra. Yeah, they're hosting yeah. together. He's he's always a good choice because he brings a writing staff with him. He has the Lonely Island, and then they have a bunch of writers that they've worked with forever. Yeah, um, that's why the the show the Oscars that Dan Harmon wrote are, is going to yeah. be the best one ever. Yeah, it's not because Hugh, Hugh Jackman's Jack- hilarious. It's because he had hilarious lines yeah. and he's well, a Hugh good Jackman actor. is also incredible. Yeah, so. but it's he not is like the greatest could, showman. It's not. He was just like, hmm, what am I gonna do? <laughs> like, no, be that's like, what Tom Cruise be- would do. <laughs> Tom Cruise would not. He would go into the writer room, fire all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring in his Scientology buddies and be like, hey, how can we reach the masses with this? <laughs> so he comes out. So Thetans, am I right? <laughs> all right, crickets. Um, so let's talk about this Avengers Four trailer teaser that dropped. Avengers Endgame. Yeah, the this is, is the most. Called? Yeah, the most. Mm. What did you watch it? No, nah. it's the most watched trailer ever. <laughs> uh, like almost three hundred million views. In, As in was hours. Infinity War last year. Yeah. Whenever it came out. Um, I mean, we don't we don't really have to talk about this too much. It's just a bunch of faces of sad yeah, heroes. I saw that they're sad. Yeah, sure, sad heroes. Sure. Um, Ant Man's in the end, so yeah, we know Ant-Man that he got out of the quantum realm, but. Uh, yeah, you know, the dusting happened and Thanos is sad in the field. dusting. <laughs> the leftovers, a light a light dust up. That's all it was. <laughs> Everyone got leftovers and now they're sad. I uh I mean I know that the movie won't carry over that kind of a tone, but I want it to be as dark as a Marvel movie can possibly be. Yeah, I want people to just end. be like it, yeah, they are kind of advertising it, which it does have like a good slogan. It's just like every journey has an end, mm-hmm. or the end is part of every journey, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. It's like, oh, that's a good little slogan for the final hoorah with these boys. I just i I am constantly amazed at Robert Downey Jr.'s ability to to keep selling it. Like, how is he not just coasting at this point? But he still he's, brings it. He's trying, and it's he's insane. doing it. He's putting in like the work, you know. I just i. I mean, the thing is with these actors, like, they're all going to be fine after this. It's not like they're like, this is their one thing that they're holding on to, <laughs> yeah. except for maybe Robert Downey Jr. They'll just be yeah. drowning in money is all. Like, yeah. He can he can wipe his tears with hundreds. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Chris R- Evans will be fine. He's still an attractive white male. Yeah. RDJ after this is doing Dr. Doolittle. That's his next big Already no. What? Yeah. <laughs> no. You know, finally finally they remake one of these things and cast a white guy where there used to be a <laughs> Thank black guy. God. You know, I'm sick of this PC No. Oh. Also, uh he has the Sherlock Holmes franchise, because we all love that, right? Are those are those still going? I thought on? that they were just totally just like, yeah, so these movies don't exist anymore. We now have no. Will Ferrell and John C. <laughs> Riley. Yeah, now this is the new Fair. Sherlock Holmes franchise. We went from Cumberbatch to yeah. Will Ferrell. But the real trailer we got to talk about is the Kim Possible Disney Channel original movie trailer, uh, live action. Which uh, I did not watch. Who's because playing Kim? Is it Zendaya? No, is it's Michi? some it's some basic little <laughs> girl. Basic little Disney girl <laughs> who's going to uh, have an album drop next year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we, have, we, have a, we have a ton of other news to get to, uh, mainly the Grammy and Golden Globes nomination. So the Grammy noms got buried with all the news this week. Yeah, they did, man. I didn't even know yeah, about Yeah, between <laughs> the Globes and the Oscar shit and then all this fucking Trump Mueller crap. Uh, they got completely buried. So it was whenever it came, like the day, what was it, Thursday or something? It was like sixth on Twitter. It wasn't yeah. even like one of the top five trending things. And it was like this is the Grammy. I, I mean, 
does anybody care about the Grammys anymore? They are like by far the least relevant. Oh yeah, award it, show. It turned me um, to an artist that I hadn't that wasn't really on my radar though, which is her. Have you guys listened to her? Twenty fourteen. H- <laughs> it's H dot E dot no, R. I remember um, him, the Christian metal band from middle school. Yeah, they're partners. <laughs> yeah, her is is nominated for album of the year. Um, it's a really good pop album. It's a self-titled okay. pop album from oh, her. Okay. Um, there's this one song off of it that you guys will probably recognize. I'll, I'll show it to you later. But the other uh, nominees for album of the year are Cardi B, um, this girl named Brandy Carlisle, Drake, Post Malone, and uh, Janelle Monae, uh, Casey Musgraves, and Black Panther, the album. That's the big surprise for me. I, I mean, I knew that that album was going to get some love just because it it's has huge, yeah. Kendrick and all of these, Scott. like all these artists, which are like just so huge in like the popular culture that I knew it was going to get some recognition. If it wins album of the year, that'd be fucking oh, yeah. awesome. That would be um, dope. I'm cheering for that or uh, my girl Cardi B because Invasion of Privacy is kind of gotten like... I feel like it kind of got lost just because it came out. It feels like it came out a year ago at this point. But it, it came it's out showing up on a lot of lists, I'm seeing. Yeah. Uh, I I think that album's a little overrated. I'm going to be honest. <sighs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was good when it first came out and I was into it. And after revisiting it, I just... I don't know. I will say no, one thing no. that I am uh, kind of bummed about is for record of the year, the song off of that album that got nominated was um, I Like It, Yeah, which is like my least favorite song. And oh, the really? thing is, is whenever that song came out, I was like, yeah, this song's going to be like huge, especially in Orlando area with our huge like Latin American mm-hmm. community here. And, that's and it that is. just makes Hunter's it blood plays boil everywhere. <laughs> is that right, Hunter? Yeah. Like Jay Balvin. What's um, your first name? Jay? I, you know, I actually really like that song. Honestly, it, it's overplayed and I'm sick of it at this point. But that was a catchy fucking song. I just I mean, I knew it wasn't going to get recognition. Um, but I want to see like put ring up for that. Yeah. As far as Ernest goes, I, you're more of a beer bongs and Bentley's kind of guy. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, so Post Malone gets a lot of shit, and this is coming from a guy who does not listen to Post Malone and never will probably. He has a gift for hooks. Mm-hmm. Like it is oh, insane how he is an earworm god. The yeah. problem is that his song is all earworm and almost no verse or anything yeah. else. It's just also, all the chorus. Looks, he looks like shit. He looks, but he also, looks, I don't know if you guys have noticed, he's friends with literally everyone. Yeah, he's a chill guy. Yeah, yeah like, he's like Mac Miller was. I, like, one point, I was just, like, looking through some Coheed stuff, and, like, he was just, like, jamming out with Coheed. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then, like, a day later, he's, like, working out with Michael B. Jordan. I'm like, what is your life, Post Malone? Yeah. No, he's one of those dudes that's, like, a, a good hang. Always just popping Bud Lights. I mean,. But uh, I've never actually like really listened to a Post Malone album or anything like that. But there, he does have some really good he songs. He is ubiquitous. Yeah, the song uh, "Better Now" is a great song. He came he, out this year. he truly has a gift for getting on the radio. The only, I mean, the biggest knock against him that I can give because it's pop music. I don't expect any depth at all, and there's none. But it's about if it's a three minute song, it's two minutes of the hook, and that's bad. But yeah. it's a good hook, so I can't complain too His much. His song "Rockstar" is nominated for Record of the Year. Also, Gambino has "This Is America" up for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. 
Um, and a music video of the year. That's as well. that's my my horse in this race. Video of the year, I could definitely see that because yeah. that video was hype. Like people were crazy about it. It's just this year, just I, you know, all these years feel like an eternity now yeah. because of everything going on. <laughs> Shallow, just, Shallow's up for some Grammys too. Hey, yeah, Shallow's up on, for uh, like record of the year, I think. Yeah, and song of the year. So I think that that's probably going to get a lot of love. Um, I don't know. Well, the thing that's kind of annoying is about the Grammys is like, this has been such an amazing year for music, and I feel like the Grammys just they don't never represent they never represent yeah. that. Um, uh, one yeah. thing I did want to give a shout out to shout out to Deaf Heaven Grammy nominated artist Deaf Heaven best metal performance yeah yeah that's for really uh, cool. Honeycomb that's cool. and uh, I think for best metal album as well. I'd like to um to once again for the second year in a row uh, a, a gong for rock. Gong. The death of rock. Yeah. The nominees for best rock album are Alice in Chains, Fallout Boy, Alice in Chains, Fallout Boy, which is a pop band. Yeah, uh, that's an album is not rock. Weezer and Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> two things. Sad. One, Mania, I think, is a, actually like a pretty solid album by Fallout Boy. It is not a rock album. Yeah. Two, Greta Van Fleet, I hate them. <laughs> They are the worst. Like, yeah, they have, are, we, have we talked about them on the pod before? Yeah, I feel are, like we have. Okay, you, I was just wanted to say, they're, they're a parasite. And they're, I hate yeah, like you start listening to them, I did at least, and I found one song on the album, and I was like, all right, yeah, this is like a cool little throwback. But you listen to the whole album, and it's like, oh, this is evil. This yeah. is straight up evil. They're like made by producers. They're yeah, to appeal to dads. Me, me and Colin <laughs> theorized one night. We just had a night where, like, for two hours, we were talking about Greta Van Fleet because it's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, the we, whole spot, uh, Spotify algorithm. Yeah, thing. we all we all just think that they're like because it's three brothers and one other guy in this band. I think that their dad is like like a washed up. He was in one of those bands that just didn't get the record deal because they were too ugly or whatever. <laughs> and now he's bald and he's fat and he's like, no nah, man, this is the real music. Like there's still a market for this. Um, and he just gave them everything that they do because it it sounds like a guy just like pulled out an old notebook from the seventies and like. You know, like dusted yeah. it off. It's it's trash. So, um, uh, a couple other things on here that were at least like surprises for me. I didn't think I did not think that Arctic Monkeys was going to be nominated cool. for best alternative album for, for an them. album that is not very mass appeal at all. It will not win, but four out of five is a really good song. That's probably the catchiest of the songs that's on the album. That album is so far in the opposite direction of the rest of their music that it might end up being like a cult favorite. Yeah. Like people are going to come back around to this album at some point. I and be agree. Like, Actually, um, it's like subversive, which I mean, but, I don't have a problem with that, but it it's just interesting that I really think it's going to have that effect. Something that I was kind of shocked by to see. Um, so 21 Pilots is nominated for best rock song with Jumpsuit, not nominated for best rock album hmm. or alternative album. Yeah. It's a for great that, album. For really that, like album, that album, which I mean, it actually, it, I mean, it felt like it got a pretty good buzz whenever it came out. It wasn't on the same level as a, a Blurry Face, but yeah, I, I still thought that like they have such a huge following. I thought that that was going to get some more love, but it did not. Um, some other nominees for alternative album are the Beck album Colors, Bjork with Utopia, the David Byrne album American Utopia. So there's Utopia and American Utopia. <laughs> Don't get them twisted. And uh, the Mass Seduction album, um, the St. Vincent um, Mass Seduction album. My favorite thing about awards season is you see the production credits for all these mass appeal bands and it's like 20 guys who wrote <laughs> it and they all like it's all 
it's it's just all like older dudes and you sometimes you run into to a, a name that you recognize and it's because they tried to have their own career and then they settled into songwriting yeah i just found teddy geiger on here oh shit he in this the co-star of rain wilson's the rocker huh oh, huh? <laughs> oh. remember Jesus. the front oh, man the, i yeah, remember the front man of that band <laughs> let's uh let's take a look at best rap performance this is an interesting one we got cardi b drake with nice for what king's dead from kendrick and j-rock and future and james blake bubblin anderson pock and sicko mode i'm travis scott bubblin. i'm really yeah, i'm really strong... shocked that uh bubblin got on there i would love for sicko mode to win this honestly it's a Be- great song it is i think it's the best pop rap song in a long time like they he snuck a song with two beat switches onto fm radio yeah. where yeah. when do you get that like that's insane also, Drake fits in nicely into it. He doesn't kind of stand out oh, or, or, Drake, yeah, or steal does, it. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes that kind of happens in a lot of his features where people, you just kind of like fall into the Drake mode because Drake has this very uh, set way in mm-hmm. which he raps and sings, which can oh, yeah. kind of take you out of the vibe from the rest yeah. of the songs. I mean, Sycamore is an amazing it's song. It's also nominated for Best Rap Song. Yeah, my, my main problem with... Uh, because on FM radio, they cut the first beat out of the song, and that's the whole framework of the song. Really? And, yeah, and that bums no, me I out. I don't really listen it's to... A, the you don't radio. listen to FM radio? I only listen to AM radio, <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, you listen to AM radio? That's yeah, the only other option, you a- idiot. Astroworld is nominated for Best Rap Album, along with Daytona, Pusha T, oh, uh, yeah. Fuck. Victory Lap by Nipsey Hussle. Uh, Invasion of Privacy, Cardi B, and Mac Miller swimming. So I don't know if uh, I can bet on this, but uh, for producer of the year, it has to be Kanye. I feel like Kanye was just trying to win a producer of the year award because he's nominated. And whenever you look at his albums, you're like, well, yeah, of yeah, course it's like, he's got well, this. It's like, I guess I can't really say no. Is it for a specific <laughs> album? Is it for Kids He Goes? No, or? it's for uh, it's, it's just the, every album okay. that he produced yeah, this year but it's like yay kids see ghost daytona yeah. uh tanashi the only thing uh, the only thing ag- going against him is he doesn't have a number one hit this year um that's gonna that's gonna yeah count he does against. the the um you're such a fucking is that a oh, number one yeah i don't know if that hit number one that song was huge it, it may I, I guess streaming it did it was d- probably not on the radio i would say i never heard it on the radio okay and that's you're such a <laughs> yeah, you're such a freaking girl. <laughs> but guys, the most important uh, category for the Grammys, uh, it's category 67 on my list here, <laughs> best album notes. The the liner notes? We got Alpine Dreaming, the Helvetica record story, <laughs> four banjo songs from 1891 to 1897. You, I don't know why that's here in 2018. You know I got a ride for that one. <laughs> that's my that's my uh like horse race pick of the year. I'm putting the house <laughs> on that one. Yeah, I'm betting everything I own on a uh, the nineteen sixty time sessions. <laughs> uh okay, best compilation soundtrack. We got Call Me By Your Name, Deadpool Two, The Greatest Showman, Ladybird, and Stranger Things. Mm. I think this might be Netflix's first Grammy nomination. But uh that's that's a strong category. I mean Showman will probably win it. And then best score. We got Black Panther, Blade Runner 2049, Coco, The Shape of Water, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. You know, I'm I'm sick of the Grammys not recognizing real artists like Rami Malek, 
who sing their heart oh, out. No. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! You know, it's it's just he really gave it his all. You he, know what? He put in extra teeth for that. You know what I hate about the Grammys? That also like it feels like because they have such like arbitrary windows in which they do these things. They're like and uh, Coco and the Greatest Showman and Shape of Water for things, and you're like, didn't those come out like over a year ago? Yeah, the like, window. The window's weird. It's so weird, and I'm like, well, I don't. I don't even remember what the score for like this thing was. Yeah, at this point. the Grammys so suck. Who cares? All right, let's move on yeah, to the, the Golden yeah, Globe. Let's move on to this a is real award that show. Really matters. <laughs> <laughs> so the Globes suck, maybe worse. They're they're an awful award show. They're an absolute blast for everyone involved, and they suck. Um, the as far as the nominees go, they're pretty really bad this year. I would say they are. I mean, yeah. they're they're pretty atrocious. They're just always kind of like chalk on certain things. Then other times they just always like throw in one or two movies or performances that you're like, what? Huh? what? Yeah, yeah. So uh, did you guys listen? The Big Picture podcast did an, an episode about yep. the noms. I haven't gone around um, to that one yet. I have. I don't even know if I finished it. But something that fascinated me that Sean Fennessy said was, "This is the Hollywood foreign press." And that plays into what they like mm-hmm. because they specifically aim for movies that explain America. Yeah. Movies that are like, oh, that's why like there's all this racial tension. So Black Klansman gets a nod, even though really wasn't on anyone's awards radar. That's um, a great movie. But Black though. Klansman, I'm glad because a lot of times with the best thing about the um, the Golden Globes is it can kind of it's not gonna necessarily tell you what's going to be nominated for Oscars, but it makes it a little bit more clear who the front runners are in each category. Um, the o- the other problem with these award shows, uh, specifically the Golden Globes, is it's the most transparently bought out award show. Oh, in terms yeah. of wind and dine. Well, yeah. in terms of yeah, everybody at the show, uh, like including people accepting awards, they're all drinking and stuff. It's not like the Oscars where they're sitting still. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they get on stage, they're loose. And twice now, at least, people have like accidentally been like like Denzel. It was on purpose with Denzel, but he accepted an award and he. Was was like yeah you know they they put me in that room with all those uh th- with all those hollywood foreign press people and my agent was like hey this is how we win the award <laughs> and he's just like thank you very much that's and he walks joke. off stage that's a fucking no joke. it wasn't because that's how it works no i mean yeah, no. i mean i mean well it is a joke no yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. literally a joke yeah, i'm yeah. saying that the show is it's a not joke. a joke <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's literally how it works it's just all these it's all these press members getting to go to these swanky banquets with actors and then they're like yeah we'll vote for you so um, let's just get right into probably the biggest travesty of all time. Bohemian Rhapsody is up for be- best Dude, movie. best drama. Best drama. Not even comedy or yeah, musical. Yeah, exactly. If it was like a musical, it's, a, it's like, yeah. fine, you can sneak it in there because you're coasting off of Queen songs. Right. It made it in there as a drama. Ugh. Um. We yeah. We got a problem. This is here. one of <laughs> this is one of the worst movies of the year. It's up for the best fucking movie of the year. Are yeah. you kidding me? This That's made sad. me so angry, and it, it shouldn't because this award show means nothing. It I mean, won't win. all award shows mean nothing. Yeah, but the fact that now they can advertise on Blu-ray copies yeah. like. Best Picture nominated. <laughs> it's very it's Bohemian real. Rhapsody. That was truly the one where it was like I don't even know if I can watch between this. like <laughs> well I mean between this and then like a couple years ago Suicide Squad being nominated for an yeah, Oscar it's yeah. like what are you doing they don't stop I mean they don't know they they're it's just a bunch of old motherfuckers well the the I think the big deal here is Black Panther Black yeah. Panther is nominated for Best Picture I think it'll probably win. Um, the, its biggest contender is A Star Is Born. It's between those two. 
Um, I think I, A Star Is Born is going. You to think so? Yeah, yeah, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it did. I, I but hope I, it does. I think Black Panther might get it. Uh, I just have a feeling that yeah, because I mean, you know, the it's, gold, it's the Globes the, are the fun show, and they're like, hey, we love this. Yeah, and it's <laughs> I think it's the highest grossing movie of the year. Yeah, it, and, didn't it make more money than Infinity War? Pretty sure um, it did. And like I said, the Hollywood Foreign Press America, likes movies yeah. that yeah that explain America, and that movie explains America. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Elsie Fisher. She is hell yeah. Hey, she is nominated. It's they the got only, something right. Yeah, for best actress in a musical or comedy. You know, she might never get nominated again because in interviews, it's she's she's very much like she talks like that character. Yeah, like she is that character, and Bo utilized that so perfectly. That it's I don't. Like, I don't know if she's actually. A great I don't know, actress. I don't know if she could do anything else. But we'll I, have to see. I would love for her to win this award because she is transcendently good. Well, so, she's up against Emily Blunt, Olivia Coleman, who we'll talk oh, about fuck, uh, okay. today, later today. <laughs> might have not to, going to win. Might have to. <laughs> uh, Charlize <laughs> Theron and Tully and Constance Wu and Crazy Rich Asians. So, wow, it's uh, a strong category. That is a really great category. Uh, one uh, one big winner that I noticed from this was Vice, a movie which nobody has seen, including pretty much everybody in the Hollywood foreign. It press. has the most nominations. But yeah, it's nominated for um, best musical or comedy. Um, nominated for I know uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale, of course, Amy has Adams. one. Amy Adams. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt that at the very least that movie is going to be good, and it's going to be better than most of the things that are recognized here. Uh, I hope even so. If, even if it's a disappointment, it's going to be better than fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um. Roma isn't nominated for best drama because I get Golden Globes have a weird rule where if your movie's foreign and it has like subtitles, mm. then it can't be nominated for best picture. It has to be nominated for best, best foreign film. Yeah. So it's like in like a lower division of a category, hey, but pretty much it'll win for the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the Oscars, it's the favorites right now are a star is born and Roma. Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of one of those things where it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Why it wouldn't be recognized in the same um, level of prestigiousness. Yeah. It's because there it's, it's all these, a lot of the, I mean, I'm some portion of the Hollywood foreign press is from Mexico, I would assume, but I, I mean, it's mostly European. It's a very small group of people. Yeah. It's less than a hundred people. And I would, and you got to assume it's mostly, Europeans who yeah. are just like, oh no, we like American award. <laughs> um, I want to move on to the TV nominations real quick, uh, but the I did want to shout out the original score category. It's a really interesting category. We got A Quiet Place, Isle of Dogs, Black Panther, First Man, and Mary Poppins Returns. Wait for what? For original score. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, I'm I'm really pulling for First Man. I think that that's is the a best great score. score. Like that score is amazing. But also a quiet place. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think that movie's going to get any awards recognition. And here we go with with one nomination. It, you right know, here. It, yeah, I would guess it'll get some sound design love. I hope so. You know, some sound editing stuff because that's the main thing of it. <laughs> I was. I mean, I, First Man was kind of a big loser for this like first batch of awards. Like that's the only nomination Man, that has no love for Damien. And Nula for Ryan Gosling. I think Claire Foy is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm kind of fine with that. Like, in retrospect, that movie has not stuck with me in any meaningful way. And it didn't make any money at all. I don't know. That movie, I still, like, think about. I still think that that is, like, it has this level of tension to it that, like, I feel like it has a great rewatch. Especially, especially comparing it to a biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody that's so by the numbers. Yeah. You know? To see something that goes above and beyond, and you can tell how much craftsmanship went into it. Yeah, I, I really. Admit. I just I don't go back to movies for the craftsmanship. So, um, 
Also, uh, just wanted to quickly shout the best animated picture category has like is really good this year. There's been a lot of really good animated films with like Isle of Dogs, Incredibles Two, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which is I'm getting. S- I'm so hyped for that. I'm getting so. I had a yeah. chance to see it yesterday, yeah. but instead I decided to oh. go see uh, Schindler's List instead, which I'll talk about later on the podcast. But, yeah, um, you know, Spider Man or Schindler's List. <laughs> like I'm going to cry equals amount in both of them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I just kind of forgot, but quickly while talking about Into the Spider Verse, the best. Part about um, John Mulaney uh, and Spider-Ham. Nick Kroll hosting. If they would have hosted the Oscars, would be him giving the Oscar to himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That would be uh, just incredible. I'm all for that. Um, oh, we. I, I wanted to shout out Spike Lee for being nominated for Best Director. It's his first nomination in like 20, almost 30 years. Yeah, uh, good on him. Good up against on him. Uh, Cooper Quaron, fucking Peter Farley for Green Book, and Adam McKay. Um, and then for best screenplay, we got Quaron. Um, also, we'll definitely talk about this later, but Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara for The Favorite, which we'll get into it, but I think that is an amazing screenplay. Oh, then yeah. Barry Jenkins for uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. We got to watch McKay that. Did you guys watch that? If Beale Street Could Talk? Yeah. It's, it's rolling out very slowly. Yeah, I think it gets a wide release n- this coming week. It's this. I know it comes out the same week as Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, boy. True. So, um, yikes. Yeah, because I thought that uh, Yorgos was an auteur, and this script is unbelievable. And yeah. It's written by these two people. The They don't have like any yeah, other Yeah, I don't remember. Credits. Yeah, what's her name? Um, Deborah... She Davis. has she has no credits. Yeah, and then he has written some very yeah, a bunch br- of he's written some very British movies mm-hmm. and TV shows that like we don't know their names, and they put together this fucking insane yeah. movie. We'll we'll get into it. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. So real quick, some of the TV stuff. Let's. I, we don't have time to go through everything, but it's mainly a lot of the same things like Handmaid's Tale, Ozark. Uh, the Americans, which again, just like the Emmys, the Americans, this is their last chance to win things. Um, so maybe they'll give it to him, but it's nice to see Homecoming on there. Well, I was going to say, I think for me, I mean, I never watched the Americans, but at least for best drama, it's a two horse race between Homecoming and Killing Eve. Both of those are like two of the best shows. Did you finish of the year. Homecoming? I almost have uh, one episode left, nice. but I, I'm waiting to talk about it until Drew also talks about it because I want to get into like, yeah. heavy spoilers. We've got uh, we've got Donald um, Glover up for uh, best actor for Atlanta uh, up against Bill Hader. Uh, Jim Carrey and Kidding. Also, Sacha Baron Cohen got a nomination for Who is America. Dude, so that's yeah, that a strong category. If you, um, if Michael you, Douglas. If you told me that category when I was in middle school, I would flip my yeah. lid. I'd be like Donald Glover versus Bill Hader versus <laughs> Jim Carrey still And somehow. Michael Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's what that's a 12-year-old insane. me would be most but excited. no Brian Tyree Henry. Well, let's look at uh, supporting. Um Oh, they don't have. Do they have? That? Oh, yeah. So yeah. we got Alan Arkin, Kieran Culkin for Succession. That's cool. the only the nomination. only nomination for Succession, which yeah. is a criminal. That's pretty and then, wild. Uh, Henry Winkler and Barry. Um, yeah, and then uh, let's see what else we got. Sharp Objects got a couple nominations in there. Uh, Versace getting in there with a couple acting nominations. Amy Adams. Um, it's a lot of the same things that we saw in the Emmys. I'm I'm pulling for sharp objects. I'm pulling for Versace. I think those two have big chance. I know that um, 
the all of the Ryan Murphy shows usually win a lot of awards, so yeah. I'm sure that he won't have much trouble there. One thing I was surprised with, because I feel like everybody always talks about Julia Roberts' performance in Homecoming, but I'm so glad to see uh, uh, S- Stephen James, Stephen James, nominated for oh, best, nice. yeah. best performance by an actor in He's drama. amazing. He is so good. But I mean, and everybody talks about Julia Roberts' performance, and rightfully so. I mean, it's an amazing performance that she gives. But also, he is great, and especially as an actor that I had never seen or heard of before. Yeah, so many dialogue Such scenes. Such a big surprise. And they, they make it so engaging. Um, all right, well, we got to move on because we have a lot more to talk about. But that's the Globes. So... What have you been playing, Hunter? Um, oh, nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no. Big uh, news this week came out, guys. Super Smash Brothers Ultimate nice. for the Nintendo Switch. You're actually playing week. it right now. Yeah, I've been playing this entire time. Yeah, I'm, no. he, Hunter did bring um, a Switch. <laughs> I have I'm, my Switch on the count on the table right now. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, this uh this game is amazing. Um so from what are so far what I can tell this seems like the most polished uh smash game yet. Uh the way that you start, I mean of course this catalog of characters that they have is daunting, like 80 some characters Jeez. whenever you actually unlock them all. Um you start out with the core 8 from Nintendo 64 and then just nice. kind of slowly unlock new characters as you go. Um, some completely new to the franchise, others that have appeared in previous games and everything else like that. I'm up to about 24 characters so far, um, but That's I've been kind of taking my of time them. with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've been playing this game pretty much nonstop. It took me a little bit to kind of get back into the Smash mode because I have not played a Super Smash game in a long time, like well, you gotta, well over a year. You got to play so. with the Joy Cons, right? How is that? Well, okay, so um, I've played a little bit with the joy cons um it's a little bit kind of cumbersome just because it's it's so small that you kind of have to relearn how to play on just this like it's almost like if you ever played brawl with just the wii controller yeah um so it kind of takes a little bit of getting used to but i've gotten kind of used to that the main way that i've been playing it is uh on with the switch pro controller nice works really well i am uh I'm getting the uh, GameCube adapter so I can play with the actual That's GameCube the controllers. It's because the GameCube controller is the perfect controller for Smash. Everything you need is right there. Um, there isn't too much that I wanted to say about this game, except for that it's amazing. Since it's a fighter, it's kind of hard to really like give in-depth analysis yeah, on it. Um, fun. Dude, there's don't a, don't there's a spoil. <laughs> there's actually a, a story mode a little bit to this game. which hey, There always is. Yeah. Um it's good. Um, I was kind of... I kind of let myself down on this because I was really expecting something closer to Subspace Emissary from Brawl, which mm-hmm. is by far their most immersive of a story game. Even if Brawl is not the best Smash game, it's still uh, very immersive because you have entire levels of that game which are just platforming-based as opposed to actually just yeah. being fighting. Um, but the uh, story mode, uh, Spirits, or I think it's called World of Light, it does. It is really fun and engaging. It gives you uh, new kinds of challenges because you have this huge map that you walk around in, and you start out the game with just having Kirby. Kirby is the only playable character, and these the master hands are back, and they kind of like capture all of the other characters, and you have to slowly go around the map and free them. But 
while uh, venturing across the map, there's also just these little challenges before you actually get to unlocking the characters. And it'll be a certain thing where it'll be like, um, this is a stamina challenge. You only have uh, 50% of your life. This person has 150 and the floor is poison. <laughs> and it is really fucking hard. Like, it's actually, like, gotten... There's a couple of them where I'm just like, I'm not ready for this challenge. Like, I have to kind of... I mean, luckily, it's a big enough map. You can kind of... If you get stuck on something, you can kind of leave and then come back later on. If you get new characters or new spirits, which is something new that they brought into this game, um, they kind of took the old uh, trophy system that they've had in Smash games previously and have those now work as kind of attributes or like equipment for you. So you'll have a primary spirit who you can equip and it'll have a certain level of attack and defense that'll add to your character. And they will also have these uh, sub um, spirits, uh, secondary spirits, I guess. And they'll have certain things like uh, poison floor resistance or um, increased ranged attacks, kind of stuff like that. And they uh, change it up enough with these challenges where they have uh, three central things where you can either, it's like more of an attack style, defensive style, or ranged attack. And whichever one you choose, it makes you kind of always go through and adjust the lineup that you have based on the enemies that you're attacking. Because certain uh, spirits that you have will lend better to fighting certain characters as others will. So it's it's given me a lot to think about. I mean, there are definitely times where I'll be playing it, I'll get stuck a couple times, and I'll go and change my lineup a little bit and try and uh, kind of come up with some other different way to fix my lineup in order to so kick some ass. have you played with just one end of the Joy-Con? Yeah, no, that's what I was talking about before, about being kind of... Uh, okay, so you can't play... But how is it with, like, both oh, Joy-Cons? Oh, both, it's fine. I mean, both it plays, like, normal. Is that the you same thing full... as the Pro Controller, pretty much? Yeah, I mean, the Pro Controller feels better in your hand, just because it's an actual but it's controller. Kind of but, I mean, I've been probably spending at least, like, 50% of the time just playing it in handheld mode. Yeah. Um, and that respect, it plays... I mean, the buttons and everything else are the same way that it is on... Uh, for the Wii U, for nice. that Smash game, or playing nice. it on any game where the actual controller, as opposed to the GameCube... I mean, the GameCube controller is always going to be the best controller. Because oh, yeah. everything you need is right there. Like, your main attack, a big old green button right there. Like, your shield's right over top of your attacks. Like, everything about that controller layout is lends itself perfectly to smash in a way that no other controller does awesome but awesome. yeah no i can't definitely wait to play uh it. recommend you guys play it how does it compare to fortnite season seven um it's better because it's not cartoon this is a oh life. all the oh by the way all the <laughs> okay. graphics are like detective pikachu graphics yeah. they're all very grounded yeah super ryan <laughs> reynolds like voices yeah every character <laughs> Uh, so we got a new little segment for you listeners today. We are talking small artist spotlight, highlighting yeah. uh, unheard. Yeah. Uh, so low, yeah. L- little heard. It's basically, now that we've made it, uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't want to forget our roots. Like coming up, we really didn't have many listeners. Uh, and it, it really is valuable to like word of mouth these days. Yeah. So. 
I mean, I'm sorry to these artists in advance. Your websites are going to get the old wabam hug of death. Yeah. The yeah. old DDoS. We are going to crash your servers. I'm sorry. Get ready. But it's worth it. Trust me. In a couple of days, you'll get so much traffic. People keep listening to our podcast. Uh, so, yeah, I've just been getting into... Well, you can go ahead with your... Because you have the smallest band of all time. Yeah, I have this band... <laughs> you um, have the most obscure band possible. I have this band. Um, shout out to Nathan, friend of the podcast, who uh, helped me discover him. The band is called The Hugeness. Yeah. Um, they are super small. They have 141 monthly listeners. Yeah. Aww. That's we're, how small we're they are. We're talking nothing here. But, um, so, he turned me on to this band because uh, the main front row of this band was in a uh, reggae rock band called Pacifier, which I was super into Pacifier back in the day. Um, and Will was always, Will and Mike, who do, who do the, um, does the keyboard, um, were always, like, by far the most talented members of the band. And as much as I love Pacifier, there is just, I think, this ceiling to reggae rock and how good it can possibly be. And granted, I think Pacifier is like right there at that ceiling because I think that sometimes they really break through the genre and they can just make good rock songs. But whenever you're a reggae rock man, I mean, there's kind of, at the end of the day, with just lots of upbeats. And uh, ding, yeah, end of the ding, day, you're going to be ding, a corny motherfucker. <laughs> like, there's only just so much you could do with that genre. But with people as talented as that, I wanted them to do something else. Insert the hugeness. Um, Will uh, decided to make kind of as like a little side project a prog rock band um, that they it's pretty much all studio uh, studio musicians. So they're all super, super talented. But they have an album that came out this year called The Lighthouse. And this album is great. Like, this album is kind of sneaking towards my top ten albums nice. of the year. Wow. Just because I really think that this album is amazing. Um, yeah, I checked it out, and I can I can tell you right now, I like it a lot better than I like Pacifier. Well, I mean, just because it's so much more, they're like, there's so much more depth to it all. Yeah, it's, and I don't, I don't really listen to prog rock, but... This is very impressive. More like if even if it, I don't like love it. It's so it's very impressive. The instrumentation is great. Um, the production is pretty well done oh, yeah. for such a small band. Which like Will does the production on this as well. Yeah, and he's obviously had a lot of studio experience. And these are studio musicians, as you said. So there's it, this has a polish to it that you would not expect from a band with no plays at all on Spotify. But I mean, it makes sense because it's not like this is their main thing. I think that it, pretty much everybody who's in the band has other projects that's kind of their main source of income and everything like i don't think that they tour or anything like that i think they're just a studio band but um yeah no i was so so impressed by them i think they're based out of la which kind of makes sense i mean past i know will and them are originally from um uh savannah georgia but i was just so blown away by them. I highly recommend that you listen to the album. It's 38 minutes. It kind of just flies by while listening True. to it. The album really kind of blends together. Specifically, the the main the first song in the album, The Lighthouse. That's the one I um, listened to. I, I really enjoyed it. The Lighthouse, it The well Hero done. is a great song. Uh, the Grief. The, like All down this album is just really, really good. Um, one Knock, all of their songs start with The. Yeah. So, yeah. That's how you know There's they're that. cool. Yeah. Three out of ten. They're like, hey, like Mark Zuckerberg called them. It was like, hey, add the the. <laughs> I wish that I would have. <laughs> Sean Parker's like, listen, kid. <laughs> um, okay, so 
I found on actually I decided to check out my Spotify Discover for the first time in like mm. months. Mm. Um this band so it's it's a duo. It's called Mosey, M O S I E. Um their most popular song was in my Discover. It's probably mo- their most popular because it got swept up into the algorithm and so that's why it has plays. It's called Oh Frenchy and I was like this song is good enough that I'm going to check out the band which is rare for Spotify Discover. It's usually just kind of you listen to it and you're like all right. Yeah, you're like, yeah, um that's pretty good. I guess that sounds like things that I listen to. It's just it's a very it was a very solid song. This band is so much better than the amount of attention that they have. I'm not saying that they should make any lists or get any awards, but right now their most popular song is sitting at 740k which you think like numerically you're like that's pretty impressive uh monetarily that is zero dollars let me tell you like it's really really hard for streamers to make money they're not that's that is like pennies that's like one of my paychecks basically yeah (laughs) um and this this band is better than that like i'm telling you guys right now there are songs that you guys specifically will like on this album um oh frenchie is kind of like a it's kind of like a chilled out it has a guitar vibe to it but these guys are both producers that teamed up kind of like capital cities mm. where it's just these two kind of like not marketable like 30 something white dude producers <laughs> who are like no let's just not be front men yeah. you know <laughs> um and so yeah you have that and then you have these two songs um a lot of these songs do remind me a lot of capital cities they have this funky uh you know kind of electro pop vibe to them um, look at you go is the main one that I think that there's no way you can't like the song. Like it just it sounds like a song that is famous almost. Like it's shocking to me. This song has three hundred sixty one thousand plays, and I think wow. it, I think it could be sitting at ten million, and I would not be surprised at all. Um, that's what led to this whole segment. I really wanted to talk about this. I was like, there are so many artists that are making like great shit and we will just never know their names. And then I got really oh, depressed. Ridiculous. Then I started thinking about back in the day when no one was listening to our podcast, <laughs> you know, it's just before we made it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, now we, people are sending us fan merch, fan yeah. made merch. They're yeah, sending us, keep up. people are sending us their tits in the mail to sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's very gruesome. It's, it's horrible. It's Please stop. It's a bloody mess. Um, so oh, yeah. they're touring with uh, Cherub. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah oh, they're opening dope. for Cherub because they have a very similar vibe okay. of this kind of like this bumping electronic vibe. The whole album is pretty it's, solid. It it spans so many genres. You have funk, rock, hip hop, electro pop. Um, it's really all over the place. There's one song where they're like doing a little screamo in there. It's very, it's that almost might be one of their main flaws is that they don't just like focusing like Capital Cities did uh, where it was yeah. just like straightforward electro pop the whole album. Is uh oh Frenchie is that this year album? Uh, this album it was last year. Oh, okay. is it? Um, no, this album Tangerine came out this year. Okay. Um, and I I think that this song this album is way better. It, at the very least, these three songs: Oh Frenchie, Look at You Go, Tangerine more than worthy of of millions of plays they're never going to get them because this is just two not attractive dudes who are just like kind of you know they're like what's what's the market right now there's so there's so many yeah. artists so right hard now. to make it as a white male these days i know and it's you know it's making me sick you, you know why don't you go listen to aquafina you <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> all right um, let's end this bit no so <laughs> Um, next up, so this is a group that actually has millions of plays, and I think that they should have tens of millions of plays. Whoa. Earth Gang. Mm. These guys, I don't know 
what the problem is. <laughs> Why aren't they famous? They're a li- I mean, they're more old school than anything you'll hear on the radio. They're a hip hop uh, collective. It's like three guys. I want to say maybe even Atlanta. two. Atlanta. Yeah, they're from Atlanta. I know that they're tight with Jake Cole's scene. They're around his age where they're kind of like, at this point, they're older than anyone who gets a huge break. Like, they're mm. later 20s, earlier 30s. They've been around for probably a decade. And they're great. Their lyricism is so unbelievably tight that I was... That's the main thing that shocked me about this group. Because you, there are pl- plenty of hip-hop collectives out there that are undiscovered. And are their production is really solid because production is having a bit of like an explosion right now they have better lyricism than i would say 95 percent of of rap that i hear um the problem is that lyricism is not the focus at the moment which is not i'm not saying that's a bad thing but that's just the case uh but these guys they play off of each other very well they have the chemistry as a group of like a tribe called quest or like a brockhampton where they just they they vibe together perfectly um they have solid hooks and they I mean, the main focus here is the lyricism. It's I think it's pretty unbelievably good for just this group that's sitting. You know, they, they have a, a few. They have plenty of songs that have like one or two million plays, but I hadn't heard of them. And if I haven't heard of you, you're nobody. Yeah. In this town, I'm the I'm the make or break, and I didn't know about them. you. Everyone just needs to aim to end up on the Wabam Small Artist Spotlight. <laughs> We're that, gonna, that's your benchmark Best case now. scenario. You know, you're out there making music. In, instead of going over award nominations from now on, let's just make our own. Yeah. <laughs> like, who cares about award nominations? Let's just, that. Okay, that's that's the plan. Um, their biggest song is called Meditate, be- Meditate because it has J-I-D on it, which mm-hmm. that's a guy we haven't talked about. He's having a, quite a year. Yeah. Um, he's kind of like a, a discount Kendrick Lamar. In a lot of ways, he, that's definitely what he models his voice after. And he's very, very talented. Also Atlanta. Um. Shout out to the song Artificial. Um, um, we should play that during the break, okay. as long as we're talking about these guys. Okay. Or maybe Look at You Go. Either way, don't play any of that shit Hunter talked about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't play my no. sweet prog. <laughs> I was just going to play, say play the Smash theme, but you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they have like they have attention. They're, I'm sure they're making their living off of music, which is something that a lot of these, a lot of groups cannot say. Like yeah. that That's a milestone, but I really... I was recommended this group by a coworker. I've been kind of like putting some feelers out like, hey, what have you been listening to? Just because I've been I've been feeling a little stale lately. I've been feeling a little passe. Um, and this this group just kind of blew me out of the water. Did you guys listen to them at all? Mm-mm. I haven't actually had a chance to check them out. Um, it's just like I mean, I know, you like J. Cole. I think yeah. there's no way you won't like this man. Like okay. they, they're so good. Um and th- yeah, their their beats are like I said, they're more old school oriented, uh, not in like an annoying way where they're really trying to be nineties. So th- or, definitely yeah. start out with the with the new album, the royalty album. Honestly, honestly, for a group like this, you could just go down their most popular on Spotify to get a feel for them. Okay. It's not like they have like super cohesion in all the albums. It's you know, it's like a hip hop collective cool. group. Okay, I I love them though. Like I was I was like what? Like they're just sitting there. Um, and then the last one I want to talk about is <laughs> this is another one that has they have a, a couple million plays on plenty of songs. This band I wanted to talk about because I found them a very interesting case study because you know about this. Band. Oh, yeah. Uh, title fight. This is title fight. They I knew about them a long time ago. Yeah, they've because, been around for a yeah, while because they were kind of a hardcore like pop, pop punk kind of post punk band. Mm-hmm. Um, and that genre just kind of died. 
so they were just like they were kind of hung out to dry especially like because they were on the heavier side of pop punk. yeah yeah they were more, more on the punk the... side where i mean i feel like it's easier if you're an artist more like fallout boy for example yeah, you where can, you can kind of lean into the pop def- side more. yeah definitely you can make the the jump and it's not too jarring for people's ears but yeah this is a band you know a lot of screaming um very impressive instrumentation but it's just if you listen to their old stuff now, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was a thing. Like, you know, it's just a genre that kind of died out. And in this is a three-year-old album I'm talking about. Yeah. I just found it fascinating. They, they com- haven't come yep. out with anything since? No, no nothing I- since. I just really want to recommend this because I always think it is so impressive. Uh, Hyperview is the name of the album. Yeah, I, I just uh, that's one of the most impressive things a band can do is just totally reinvent themselves from whole oh, cloth. Oh, I mean, it's it's sounds almost like a completely different this, band. Like if it wasn't for the dude's voice, which he does have a pretty identifiable voice. Um, other than that, it sounds completely different because their newest album is very like spacey. Yeah, so they and- yeah the, that's the thing. They didn't go a pop route. They didn't go uh, like a route that anyone else is, is really mm-hmm. going right now. It's like a melodic, heavy distortion guitar based album. Um, Almost in the vein of like Deftones, yeah. You get a lot of Deftones vibes, which are a band that insanely influential, and now they're still putting out stuff. But I don't know if you want to listen to that. Um, this is a great album, and it's just like it's from 2015. Not a lot of people listen to it. Um, well, actually, when this album came out, um, because they kind of had a cult following, and this album was kind of panned by yeah. fans and critics, just because it is such a big change. I mean, they went from having this. Their older albums kind of sound similar to like Tiger's Jaw, Man Overboard, bands like that. Yeah, and then yeah. To go to this kind of Deftone sound, people are like, "What the hell? This isn't the band that I wanted." But I I really they, recognize the album covers to Shed and Floral Green. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. I remember listening. Yeah, to that. we all because we all but, listen to this genre. Yeah, back no, in I the mean, day. I yeah. I was into Title Fight back in the day, and um, I will say uh. For those of you out here, if you uh, listen to the band Balance and Composure, which I've talked about before, they share a lot of similarities with Balance and Composure. Like, yeah. I feel like if you like one band, then you like the yeah. other one. Um, yeah, so it's it's very, like, I love the distortions they put on their guitars here. It's it's like Deftones meets uh, surf rock, basically. Yeah. Like, you get um, not a little bit of waves, but more so... Um, Surfer Blood. Ooh, yeah, you, me- yeah, you remember yeah. Surfer yeah, Blood? Yeah, yeah Surfer Blood. Pretty B- sure before he beat his wife. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that dude's a domestic <laughs> abuser now. Yeah. But you know, listen to Title Fight instead. I'm pretty sure he's not a domestic yeah, abuser. Not. And that's the Wabam stamp of approval. Well, all right. So <laughs> the the bands that they just talked about are the Hugeness, Mosey, Earth Gang, and Title Fight. Yeah. So go ahead and check them out. They're Shut- all on Spotify. I actually I'm glad to see because I just wanted to check it to look them up just to make sure. But I thought that title fight broke up just because they haven't put out an album well, that's for years the thing. but there's kind of like touring this, still yeah the same guy there. that told me about earth game shout out to marky mark my boy uh he Wahlberg? was he was like yeah you gotta he was like yeah dude earth gang uh he gave a couple other bands and he was like yeah title fight i was like bitch i know about title fight bitch. and then i was like wait a minute i haven't Do listened I? to title fight since i was like yeah like 2011 16 yeah. Yeah. yeah and then i looked him up and i was like this i think that that is a really underrated move is a total reinvention that isn't based on a sellout move this isn't a sellout move at all it's just a oh, change no. i mean it's not like they were like well let's make something that's mass appeal or they didn't even go no offense to 
Portugal demand, but the Portugal demand route where they're just like, all right, well, we're going to either make something that's super poppy or we're going to get a producer to write us a song that's yeah, super poppy. Exactly. It's because it's, it's hard not to sell out because this alienates both fan bases. There are fans of the new album who don't want to hear the old shit probably if they go to their show and then they're all the old fans don't want to hear the new shit. So uh, real quick, I'm going to I'm going to shout it out again. Mark Rebillet. Last time I talked about this guy, I pronounced his name Rebelet, but he pronounces that Rebillet. Freaking pro, like proletariat. AKA Loop Daddy. Just just go on on Facebook or YouTube or any He's or write Twitter. A theme song. And did you shout him out while I was gone? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So this guy is Mark M A R C Rebillet. R E B I L L E T. Just toxically French. He is so fucking good and he's about to blow up because he just linked up with anthony fantano and he got anthony fantano to play bass on some of his loops oh shit uh there's also like a 40 minute interview up of them just shooting the shit this dude is amazing 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 uh looper comedian rapper improviser uh definitely of the vein of in the vein of uh, reggie watts um just that same level of like energy and uh inventiveness with his improvisation his loops uh obviously not as good as reggie because reggie is like the king of that shit but this guy i think is going to blow up because he embraces the meme yes. culture yeah. yes definitely he like is kind of like this living meme that's, he, that's vital man uh so Look at yeah fantano exactly exactly he is like the love child of myself and fantano yeah yes so. <laughs> if you combine <laughs> anthony fantano with Ernest, yeah it's like imagine those two people put together that is this is this, guy. this is nepotism so <laughs> i know this I, is bullshit he is my son yeah no and i want you guys to listen to my son um, so yeah, Mark Rebier, uh, let's breeze through what we've been watching cause we are running, uh, quite long. Um, so first I am going to give a shameless plug to Paris to Pittsburgh, which is a documentary that is coming out. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it might already be out. It's Wednesday, December 12th that it premieres on national geographic. I'm hoping that they put it on YouTube or Netflix or something that it can be mm-hmm. widely accessible. But this is a documentary about cities all over the country that are acting uh, in the face of climate change. So President Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement in 2017, two years after Barack Obama signed it in Paris. And mayors all over the country were like, "Okay, well, just because the president pulled out of this climate agreement doesn't mean that we have to stop acting and and meeting our goals for it. So it's, it's a story about... Uh, the mayors of Orlando, Los Angeles, and Pittsburgh, and also a small um, uh, co-op electrician in Iowa, a small little farmer in the middle of Iowa who is transitioning their local electric co-op to full renewables um, solar energy. That's awesome. So it's kind of like this um fragmented documentary where the the common theme in all these stories is people that already are acting to live sustainably and to take measures into their own hands to make sure that we survive as a species and orlando is is a huge chunk of this documentary like we get a like probably like 30 minute chunk of this Sick. of this 70 80 minute film and uh, 
the organization that I work for, Fleet Farming and Ideas for Us, it's it's in the documentary. Like we're in it. So if you want to check out, if you want to get a piece of, <laughs> if you want to see Ernie's, face. I'm not I'm not in it. Oh, but, but um, why Leah's, not? Leah's for like two seconds. She's in it. That's good. Um, but we went to the premiere. They they there was the premiere last week, and it was it was just great to to see uh, Lee up in in the Q and A panel, and and the the documentary actually it it's a little bit hard to watch sometimes because of some of these stories that are told like there is one story of a uh, a rancher in california who lost her home to the to the wildfires over there uh, and how geez, she had to terrible. set her horses free so that they could survive and they wouldn't be burned alive so some of that stuff is like really harrowing to watch but it, it also kind of leaves you a little with a little bit of hope that like hey people are doing things it's not all doom and gloom uh but on the other hand it's like Putting up solar panels and planting food really isn't going to do anything in the grand scheme of things. It's like doing something on a very small scale, but yeah. you need it to kind of trickle yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, but that's the, sad to think about. Yeah, but the documentary, it, it just kind of it kind of tells you like, hey, do something, even if it's small, even if it's just speaking out. Because one of the people that are featured is this 16-year-old girl who is taking it upon herself to go to Washington, D.C. and protest and march and speak. Like, just even doing that is big. So it's called Paris to Pittsburgh. It's going to be on Nat Geo. Uh, it's a it's a huge deal. It's going to be a huge deal for Orlando. It's going to put a huge spotlight on us, hopefully, Sick. if a lot of people see it. So shameless plug, watch Paris to Pittsburgh. Uh, and then real quick, I've been watching Killing Eve on Hulu. I'm about three, four episodes in. I've also been watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which fuck it's amazing like uh -oh. we need to be watching this show it's <laughs> uh -oh. fucking stupendous We're coming around uh but i'm gonna wait to really talk about that until i get to season two which just came out mm. but killing eve i'm gonna try to finish it um quick because it's only it's only eight episodes yeah short mm -hmm. yeah and, and you guys both over you guys both watched all of it no. right no. I've, I've seen it? all of it it's okay. it is incredible sandra O and jody uh comer Oh, the, sure the main girl? The, yeah, yeah, the what's Russian. What's her name? Vic, Vicky? Jody uh, Villanelle. Villanelle. Vicky. <laughs> she is so good in this. Like, she is, like, spellbounding with yeah. how sociopathic she is at certain times. I, my favorite thing about the show is is the um, the the dark comedy. Like, oh, the, yeah. There's just these, it's like, It's very quick... British in yeah. that way. And it's, like, yeah. the best kind of British well, humor. So, Sandberg and Sandra Oh, what award show did they get? The Globes. Uh... People were confused about Sandra O oh being involved. She's very funny, dude. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. A, and she's done a bit before at the Emmys with Sandberg cuz Sandberg has plenty of hosting experience. He'll be fine. Like yeah. they're going they're going to do great. Yeah, so I I'll elaborate more on this when I finish it, but I'm about halfway through the season. I'm loving it. Um I do think The Ringer overhyped it because they were so they were so into it and they named it the best show of the year oh, it's wow. like number one on the ringers Killing list Eve. well i've heard it's, that it, it gets better and better well no i, I was gonna yeah. say it it it's up there for on my list Yeah, because i thought it started weaker than i thought it okay. would because of what i heard but then i've heard from everybody including hunter like just wait just yeah. fucking no, wait. no no it's by the time you get about to like episode five six you're like Oh yeah! Oh fuck okay. yeah! Like I'm all in. On <laughs> no, this show. I, I'm loving it. I think it's really well made, it's also, really it's well just, acted. It's also it's super well written. Shout out to Phoebe Waller Bridge mm -hmm. and just having like a pretty much almost all female lead cast. Like yeah, it's really because I mean you have of course Sandra O oh and um uh 
Jodie Comer, but also um, the woman who plays... Oh, the lead of the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is uh, fantastic. I'm trying to pull up her name really quickly here just so I can give her a shout-out. Uh, Fiona Shaw mm-hmm. plays Carolyn Very Martins. British. Yeah. Uh, she is Fiona. awesome. <laughs> awesome. And, like, just where everything goes in the show catches you always... It catches you off guard in the best kind of way because it isn't what you're expecting, but it's not completely out of left field. The yeah, seeds yeah. are planted there, but it still uh, comes as like a refreshing. No, I, I just watched an episode where I was yelling at the TV because I could not predict what had just happened. Yeah, I was um, so floored so by the events. Where are you at right now? I just um, okay. Uh, I don't want to spoil just it. What but, episode. Just what um, episode? I think it's. I think I just watched either three or four. Okay. okay. I know. That so I know. Like, I think I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah. I know. <laughs> a, a character died. Yeah. 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 yeah that's all I'll say. Um. um dude, yeah. yeah. Oh, and it, I was so shocked. Yeah. Let's let's make that Ernie. Let's watch it. Let's yeah. do it. Let's get into it. It's it. it's, it's now now it's on Hulu. Before so years end. Before I had to whenever I watched it, I downloaded the BBC America app oh, and watched it gross. that way. But that app, if you guys think Amazon's app is bad, yeah. yeah. Um. So now that's on Hulu. I'm hoping that a lot more people watch it, especially with it being nominated for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and only eight episodes. I mean, it's it's not fucking thirteen hours like no, other eight shows. episodes, and they're all like the forty minutes like yeah. classic mm-hmm. uh, TV cable. Speak, right. Speaking of Schindler's List, um, <laughs> what? Speaking Where are you of going short, with this? Speaking of short, Spe- breezy yeah, watches, short breezy watches, they're just a speaking blast. Of Sandra O. Oh. Um, hey, Sandra O. Oh was in Schindler's List, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so uh, I got to see the 25th anniversary uh, theatrical re-release of Schindler's List. Like I said, I had to make a choice, which was really hard. Both of them were at the exact same time: Schindler's List or a screener for Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. I decided to go with Schindler's List. Um, this movie is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. No, it honestly, this movie is like, it's a masterpiece. Um, like, it really, I mean, it's three hours and 15 minutes long. That is the biggest downside to it. But for a movie that's over three hours, it doesn't really drag that much, which I think is just all credit to uh, Spielberg. And also, Liam Neeson is fantastic as the list yeah as as oscar schindler um (laughs) that was good right that was good yeah um keep that in edit that out no liam neeson (laughs) and also ben kingsley as like oscar schindler just you know plays this german man um who's he's very um He's a very dynamic character because he's not just like coming in as this just like pure hero. Like, I want to save the Jews. The way he does it is he thinks like a businessman and as a German on how he can save the most people while also like Mm. profiting as a business. So he like is able to kind of convince everybody who's just like, oh, well, I can pay Jews less than I can pay Polish people. Well, I'll just hire like a thousand Jews to work for me. But really, he's actually saving them from, like, going to these death camps and shit like that and not just being killed immediately and giving them some kind of freedom and uh, source of income. Um, This movie is so good. I have... It's safe to say I've never cried this much in a movie before. Like, I was sobbing throughout. It's so heavy. And uh, I guess minor spoilers for Schindler's List, but the way that this movie ends, um, it ends with the um, the Jews being uh, freed, the war is over, and they all walk in a line over this hill together, like hundreds and hundreds of actors playing the Jewish people, 
And it fades from that into the real Jewish people who Oscar Schindler saved. And you see all these old people walking and everything. I was sobbing so fucking hard. Like, I came and described to you, like, how much. It's like, because it wasn't, I went, the showing was at 1030 in the morning. Like, I got up early to see this movie. So there was only, like, 15 people in the audience. And then by the end of the movie, we were just all, like, just sitting there sobbing. Um, Fucking Spielberg, man. I mean, Really, like, this is one of those things where um, Spielberg, this was, like, a passion project for him that he always wanted to, like, take well, this he material. Kept, I mean, he kept he, talking himself out of it, right? Yeah, but because he didn't think that Jewish. he, he – didn't, And he didn't know if he was it's not capable of doing it. No, yeah, see, he, said, was like, he said no because he was like, I'm not ready yet. Yeah, like, I'm not and that's enough. why he waited to make this until 1993, until, like, kind of the back half of his career started because he wanted to kind of perfect everything down. And I'm glad that he did. I mean, this is such a powerful movie, especially when you consider like, this is a real person, Oscar Schindler who saved 1100 Jewish people during the war. I mean, and there's this really just absolutely like punch in the gut scene towards the end where he's talking. He's just like, if I could just save like one more person, like he's just like, he's beating himself up because he feels like he should do more despite the fact that he's already done so much for saving so many people. And because of him in real life now, there's well over 6,000 survivors of Schindler's Jews like that. He gave so he put so much life into the world. Like it is just, Amazing movie. Like, I don't know yeah. if you guys have actually seen this movie recently. I yeah, I I've, I've was very young when I watched it. I need to I need to revisit I, it. It's I saw the trailer and he forgot to add color, <laughs> except for one, except for one dress. One yes. Dress. So I so I didn't watch it. So I I kind of thought I because I haven't seen this movie since I was like really young and even still I don't know if I really like watched all of it because I was like young. Um, and I thought that, like, the girl with the red dress was, like, a much bigger deal than it is in the movie. It's really not that big of a thing. It's just kind of, like... It's in, a stylistic. Yeah, it's just a stylistic it's thing. It's iconic. Like, it really is iconic. That, yeah, it, yeah. But the fact that it's in such little of the movie, it's such a huge role of just this whole idea of loss of innocence yeah, in yeah. the middle of battle and everything. Just go see this movie. If you have an AMC near you, I think that's playing until... Wednesday Couple, or oh, Thursday. Wow. Yeah. So if you get a chance, please go see this movie. All right. Well, it's no Ready Player One. I was, I was, <laughs> oh, God, God damn it. Damn you, it. you sniped my joke. <laughs> I was going to be like, now tell me Ready Player One was good, Hunter. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. And we, when we get back, we're talking Yorgos Lanthimos with The Favorite. We will be right back. Sleep. Sleep. Like Welcome back to 89.9 WBAM. Today, we're talking... Talking chocolate. They're selling what? (laughs) Mm, This is really good. Yeah, so Ernie is evidently roommates with the chocolatier, not a joke. Mm -hmm. So we are live testing. Is it... Is it Willie? Is his name? Yeah, Wonka. Yeah, yeah. Wilbur. 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 Charlie. Wonkert. Charles. 
and the. <laughs> um, Ernest, if you haven't seen him, is three feet tall and he's, and he's very orange. And I always thought it was a genetic thing. I never asked him. But there are hundreds of him here. I'm and Donald, they all have film podcasts. I'm Donald Trump's illegitimate son. <laughs> um, and they're all called We Bought a Mic, too. Yeah. <laughs> this is why maybe we don't have that many listens. Maybe it's just the many versions of Ernest. <laughs> That's a good point. They're all they, they're flooding the market with Ernest. Um, <laughs> um, this is good chocolate. Yeah, it's got uh, quinoa wow. and um, granola. Okay. Stuff. Yeah, I like the crunch. It's definitely so, a dark chocolate, which I'm starting to become a fan of as I age. Well, dark is usually better because it's chocolatier. And it's, well, it's healthier for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Less so sugar. If you I like ch- white chocolate because it's not chocolate. Yeah, exactly. I like white chocolate Jason Williams, the basketball player. If you want to <laughs> try this chocolate, it's Cocoa Brothers. And it's sold at the local Orlando farmers markets, and online. I'm pretty sure he sells it online too. Yeah, but for all our international shout peeps. to Simone. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> let's get into Yorgos Lanthimos' new film, which is out in limited release. It's the favorite. Stars um, um, Emma Stone, Emma Stone, Olivia Coleman, God, and Rachel. Just, get through Bice. that chocolate, man. You're you're really <laughs> sucking it out of your wow. your molars right now. Oh. So. Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, and Olivia Coleman, who I had not heard of before this movie. Really? Yeah, she's she's a character actress. Yeah, yeah. I'd seen really, her, but I she, I just always been like, yeah, sure. Hasn't I'd, really had a big break until now. She's on the Crown this year yeah. as well. She plays like old. She queen plays Elizabeth. a queen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a different queen. Um, um, qu- before we get into that, uh, just really quickly, I wanted to say I watched The Lobster this yeah. week. So um, this is, yeah, this is uh, the His Lobster fourth major film. Um, he made uh, Dogtooth, which I have not seen. Dogtooth, and then The Lobster last year's Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I was a huge fan of, and now the favorite. Yeah, um, the so Lobster is second. Yeah, The Lobster is incredible like <laughs> i was so captivated is, by this movie it I is can't even bizarre describe. it's bizarre to like the nth degree like where this movie goes it feels like it's really like two or three d- completely different movies but they all work together in this really interesting mm-hmm. way um i mean the biggest Colin thing Farrell about rachel vice are just amazing the biggest thing about yorgos lanthimos is his writing and directing style it's so deadpan mm-hmm. and it really it gives his his films like an actual uniqueness to them. Where with with the lobster and killing of a sacred deer, you know you're watching a Yorgos film. You know. Um, oh yeah, he has just such a unique style, uh, and the way that he creates this like not just tension but this level of un- discomfort. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have uh, a little bit of a hot take. Um, here. Oh, uh, Colin told me this last night. Yeah, Colin just guessed my hot take yeah, I know. out of nowhere. Because <laughs> he knows you, man. So, um, I think that Yorgos Lanthimos um, is kind of the closest thing we have to the next David Lynch. Just hmm. in the way that he... I mean, who else? The way that he plays with discomfort, and not only that, but the way uh, throughout his movies there's this um, theme of control. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's always kind of a been a big deal in uh, several different David Lynch movies is kind of this theme of control and playing with who has control, who thinks that they're in control versus who is actually the one pulling all the strings. Um, that it really uh, 
kind of gave me vibes to that, and I don't know. I I think that you're the only one who's seen this here, but I mean, talking about the favorite, it almost kind of gave me like some Kubrick vibes. Like this is just like what I imagine Barry Lyndon to be like, if just like oh somebody God, who yeah. takes their own very very unique style and then plasters that on a period piece to make it just expands so far beyond what the normal parameters I totally agree I I after watching the favorite I was like I need to watch Barry Lyndon again (laughs) it's because it's the same it's obviously they're very different films but it's the same kind of basic idea of a um outside individual coming into this world of like grand riches and kind of infiltrating it yeah uh so let yeah let's get into the favorite. I don't want to I don't want to talk um like too much plot details until we get to spoilers because one of my favorite things about this movie was kind of discovering what it was really yeah, about. Didn't know anything because the trailer gives nothing yeah. away whatsoever. I was like, are they sisters? What's going yeah, on? You don't here? really yeah. know. All you know is there's a queen yeah. and there's two women that are kind of fighting for for her, her favor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty basic premise. Like we've seen that before. Uh, this I thought this movie was pretty unbelievable. I loved. I had such this a good movie. time, dude. Like, I think this is without a doubt one of the best films yeah, of the year. Yeah. The, oh yeah. My <laughs> my my quick review is that like even though it's not my absolute favorite, even, honestly it might be, but it's re- not the favorite. <laughs> it's Aww. not the favorite. Regardless of that, this movie could get nominated for any Oscar, and I would be like, yeah, totally, it should win. Like, like best direction, best screenplay, there's, the costume and the set oh design. All, and all of the acting. Yeah. The three leads oh. could all win best supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all amazing. Who would you give lead to? I, well, there's no... Emma? Well, because... Stone? Yeah, she, she gets the most screen She becomes time. the focus. Olivia Coleman got a supporting nomination already, so she's definitely... I mean, she's unbelievable in this yeah. movie. Like, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if, I mean, at least two of the three were nominated for Best Supporting. Yeah, like, that, that's what I was thinking the whole time. There is no category I would I would be upset about if this movie won. Olivia Coleman plays an amazing, like, whiny baby child. Yeah, a little baby. It, it gives me, like, almost, like, Trumpian vibes a little bit. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that as we discuss this... I we may chip away at like a deeper meaning to what this movie is really about. Cause after I saw it, I had a lot of questions as to like what the movie was trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe we can kind of work through those questions because even though Yorgos Lanthimos didn't write this, I think that with, without a doubt there was something uh, kind of pulling him to this story. And I think that there might be a deeper meaning that these writers are trying to get at about the current state of things in the world well, in the world and it's very like poignant that you bring up trump because at the same time them being a whiny baby at the end of the day like what she says goes so it's like it's a child who has all the power mm-hmm. in the world yeah, like president. that's kind of this whole idea yeah it's it's yeah we've seen it before in movies like you know famously on drake and josh there's an actress who plays kid president yeah um <laughs> cory in the most house notably most <laughs> cory is not the president and cory in the house you swine <laughs> damn you fucking swine speaking of he's the president of his house speaking of swanky connections though one time i met the president on that show i met that guy oh. and he was a dick <laughs> i was a little kid he walks up to me he's like do you know who i am <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I'm the president of the United States. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're just- uh, hello. <laughs> uh, anyway, this movie is un 
fucking real. Yeah, thematically, well, there's there are definitely some present parallels. Also, uh, Queen Anne was a real person. Mm-hmm. This yep. is based on a, a true, uh, not a true story, but it's based on a real characters. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and it, it, apparently Queen Anne was a little baby and a, a weirdo. Um, who suffered? Well, I, I guess we'll, we won't spoil that. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I I know where you're getting at. Yeah, we. Uh, he, she is she is ill. Yeah, somehow <laughs> she's mentally ill. Uh, this performance I thought was in my top five of the year, no doubt, by Olivia Coleman because this character is a tough egg to crack as an actor. This is the most. It's mercurial. Her whims change at a moment's notice, and you have to see it in her face. Mm. And her face barely changes when she her entire mood will change and you'll see it in just the eyes her whole face doesn't even move it was godlike like it was legendary level performance um and that a a good part of that also goes to the directing which i don't i can't really say enough about like it's we we're not even going to scratch the surface of how insanely directed this movie there are some there are some impeccable (laughs) choices in this movie yeah from the lenses, the wide lenses, to the the dolly moves of the camera gliding through the halls of this house, yeah, uh, the to- low angles where you oh. pretty much you see the ceiling in almost every shot. It's totally opposite of every other because I mean, of course, like the angle that you shoot with is shows power dynamics, but the way that they always have this low angle at certain points is just it, it kind of grounds yeah. everybody in the scene that and you're watching, and we haven't even gotten into the fact that this is largely a comedy yeah, yeah. it's oh it's fucking funny so it's i hilarious. mean i knew uh, i've seen a lot of people kind of especially with the going globes because there's a lot of um uh category category fraud, fraud. Yeah. yeah so but a lot of people were kind of just like oh how's the favorite uh, comedy and everything this is a comedy like by all means and i knew that was going to be knowing too. yorgos but i the, knew that was going to be yeah. very dark comedy and the but. problem is it's like almost cheating it's not category fraud because it is a comedy but how could any comedy ever beat this yeah movie? no like, <laughs> like this is better than any it, studio yeah, comedy it, that will come yeah, out in could, the next 10 years it, yeah because it could beat any movie not just the comedies it could beat it could win best picture and it's gonna be a comedy like this movie is not even fair i think this i I'm, i may have to rethink this but right out of the out of the gate i think that this might be yorgos's best film i think definitely and, and most accessible film too because yeah. um some even, of his other movies are way too weird yeah like <laughs> i i love killing of a sacred deer and i love the lobster but those movies are fucking weird yeah and yeah. and killing of a sacred deer gets like really upsetting at times it that movie oh, gets, yeah. it's like morbidly it's dark troubling but still somehow like maintains its humor like you're just like uncomfortably awkwardly laughing yeah, the time yeah. Through but, it. but with with the fa- i mean i'm sure that there's people who aren't gonna like the favorite because oh, it does plenty. get it gets weird plenty of people but Again, it, it's definitely his most accessible. It's film. more, yeah, it's more accessible. I don't want to give anyone the wrong expectation, though. It's not mainstream in the slightest. No, no. Plenty of puke. <laughs> probably, <laughs> yeah. probably, that's that's the one thing we'll spoil. There's about seven different puke scenes in yeah. this movie, um, and it's just like generally, yeah, it's just generally unsettling the power dynamics of of what's going on, um, and because of the period that it takes place in, everything's just kind of gross. <laughs> like in Victorian Eng- England, everyone was just stinky. Well, something that was uh, that I loved about it is the use of natural lighting in mm. this entire movie, yes, like yes. Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Well, I again, I haven't actually seen Barry Lyndon, oh, so okay, I'm not okay. sure so about that. Keep but it in your pants. I mean, but... 
with you have so many scenes of them walking around just with candlelight and that's it's so dark everywhere but just having this one like little light uh and then wherever all their outdoor scenes it's all natural lighting but it's not bright and sunny it's like everything is gray overcast. and overcast yeah. and well, like one, sad <laughs> one misconception about Barry Lyndon uh is that that film isn't it's not a hundred percent candle lit because Kubrick was able to use like a lot of reflectors that yep. would reflect the candlelight into the background. So maybe Yorgos used something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, th- this movie has a lot of like big open windows, so maybe they were able to use yeah. like sunlight too. Yeah. Where was this sh- shot, dude? Can we talk <laughs> where about? Did, where this? did they make it was this? in an England manor? Yeah. Like they went to an actual old manor in this, England, shot this. This is one of my favorite aspects of the film because it. You can tell that it's not a set. No, it's like there's not. no yeah. way that this is a set. the The way that that main room, like the queen's room, oh, the tapestries on the wall, and the everything. camera just swings around that whole room. You enter through the door, and you can see like there's no fake wall where the yes. crew is standing. There's no fake ceilings with lights. Like you, this is a real place. Yeah, it has to. And be. I mean, the set design of it, like because obviously they decorated it. Like they, there's no way they got the rights to use like real million dollar uh you know yeah, paintings or whatever right right it's on par with any it, it's on there are a lot of parallels here to phantom thread i don't yeah. know oh yeah, um, yeah definitely. even plot wise because there there's mild comedic elements in phantom thread and it's about two different people kind of competing for the favor Ooh, of this so it's a good uh it's like a good, good double companion feature. Piece. Yeah, yeah i i interesting however i did enjoy this a good deal more and i really liked phantom thread um but yeah, it's it's just kind of unbelievable in every single aspect. That's why I'm saying like costume design. Sure, give it the award. Like, what am I gonna say? It's bad? No, it's all great. Uh, there's there are only like one or two things I could possibly complain about in this movie. Um, so I also wanted to give a shout out specifically to the main uh, male lead that Nicholas we get in this. Holt. Nicholas yeah, Holt. Yeah, Nicholas Holt. Who is, is hilarious? He Dude, is great. He not, his wig is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he is despicable. Like you just want to fucking slap him. Yeah, he plays because um, you know him mainly from like Mad Max. He's not known for comedic chops, yeah. and he yeah he plays a, a character that we see a lot because it's always funny. Is an uh, angry man throwing a little baby temper yeah. tantrum because that's just always funny. Yeah, I mean he's that was actually and his character was a person in real life, just the leader of the opposition opposite yeah. party that was somebody who just like basically stayed yeah. in the queen's house with them like when they do these kind of yeah he so he yeah he plays the leader of the Whig party in england this is in yeah 18th century so the 1700s and yeah he, he's unbelievable one choice that i really wanted to applaud the writers on because uh yorgos did not write this movie and the writers who did write this movie have written nothing that we've ever seen or heard of um one thing they did completely right is they did not go with period specific dialogue. I love that choice personally because that's that's just a really easy way to make your period movie a fucking drag. Mm-hmm. If it's if there are a bunch of words we have to think really hard about what they mean. There are a lot of jokes that are modernist jokes in this. They all have the British accent obviously and it's fairly thick and they they speak very properly. Like their dialect is impeccable, but they did not go with the way people talked in England in the 1700s, we wouldn't be able to understand them. Yeah. And I think um, a, a lot of that credit is to Yorgos, though, because he's able to make you watch people in period, completely period accurate uh, dress and, and sets uh, 
but they're speaking in a way that is completely uh, just removed from that, but it's not distracting and it works. So I, I don't think it's, it's flawless throughout the movie, but it's not distracting. It's, it's just, not, it's never jarring. It, it just, it refreshed me. It's almost, it almost struck me as the opposite of Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet, where that's in modern times and yeah. they're speaking in insanely, like literally just the prose. Right. This is the, like they're speaking in a fairly modern manner, like the, the jokes they're making and stuff. There's, there's one part where he's like, do, do you want to get punched? Yeah. <laughs> Like just little little lines like that that you would just find in like a modern comedy, you know. Um, and I just I really appreciated that. And they're never winking at the camera. No, no, they're no. They're never no, no. doing it like with any tongue in cheek. Yeah. it's it's all very uh, just straightforward and, and deliberate and and biting the and. There are times when it gets like honestly very dramatic, you know. Yeah. The, the whole movie, I mean, it's not a slapstick. Oh movie. no! Like there oh, are no. It's so, especially, it's, I mean. There are some characters that do some pretty despicable things, like whenever you get oh, towards yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. So, w- without spoiling too much, we have we have Queen Anne, Olivia Coleman, who is this little baby, extremely mercurial, uh, has no idea what to do with her power. Rachel Weiss is kind of pulling the strings a little bit. Yeah. She's very close with Queen, uh, Queen Anne, and they, you know, she's kind of directing her in a way. And then you have uh, Rachel Weiss's cousin Emma Stone, who pops in. And is starting from the very bottom, like as a maid, she gets a job and she is trying to work her way up. And just everyone in the movie is nefarious and everyone is scheming almost in like a succession type of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's, it, it did give me some succession yeah, vibes too. It's just, it's all about power struggles. I just, one more, I mean, we already kind of talked about it a little bit, but I just want to once again talk about the direction on this movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, there are certain things, certain shots that I don't even know how they did it with the camera, where yes. it will be a long take that's following the characters, and then it'll pan like around the room with them walking, and then go backwards. I'm like, where? Where are you? Yeah, where are you? Like, <laughs> yeah. where is the director in the situation? Like, Where's how? The crew? Yeah, like, anyone? I just, I, where are the cords? Like, what are you doing? How? There, how are you making this well, happen? There are a lot of shots that are shot so well they look like dolly shots, but if you look closely, you can see a bit of sway. So it's handheld. Yeah, it's but steady it's, cam. But it's so smooth. Yeah, it's so smooth. It's a steady cam. But they have the free uh, movement of walking around instead of being on a dolly where they have to go like down a hallway, for example. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Get out of here, Sork. But yeah, and then, I mean, the other big choice made with the directing is the transition cuts. Uh, oh, the editing um, in this movie. Yeah, ex- it's oh, immacul- so immaculately edited, not in just a way of like, oh, that looked good or that was effective, in a way of that is a choice, and I'm noticing it, and it's not distracting me. It's right. just amazing. Me. And it's pulling you closer into yes. the story. Yes, exactly. And it, I mean, more specifically, it's fades in this movie. Yeah, the cross most, fades. Most of the cuts are fades into a different scene done with great intention, done with purpose as to like what is which shot is like more prominent in your field of vision where do they like relate to each other in the frame which is something you almost never see that much attention paid to and then it culminates and there are two different shots one that we're going to talk about plenty the, the ending um and then there's one just mid movie where it is cutting in between three different shots and it's just f- cross fading in between all of them that that was like just like a throwaway little dialogue scene yeah. And there, and it he's a quick like, moment too. That's something that is like very, very Lynchian in that way where it just 
creates this level of like discomfort like yeah see, like you're like my brain shouldn't be seeing these exact- things happening at the it, same time it just it's yeah it struck me as almost like the future of of like filmmaking it's just like you're looking at everything at once but nothing at the same time yeah it was unbelievable it was transcendent i want to give a shout out to the score um, yes. Oh. Oh, oh yeah. man, the score is fantastic like, in this what, movie. What would you not shout I, out in this movie? It's, it's, it's just it's all un, it's all unreal when you really go down the the laundry list. Um so yeah, the, the score is very it's not like understated like you get with like a first man. It is there, very no prominent. One, no one is credited with um like a lead score um wow oh yeah credit. i see on here that there's uh there's several musician credits um, uh johnny Byrne, Ale- alexis bennett bennett um sarah giles isabel griffiths and william lyons all have different um composing and, and music credits but i think maybe uh a good bulk of this movie is like classical music so they didn't really write new music they just use like uh, period accurate music but there are certain sequences where all you hear is like a single piano note yeah. and like a slight and a violin, violin. Yep. Mm-hmm. oh so effective yeah it's the same note being played and it's just the pacing of it the timing of it and then the crescendo of it and it's that again it's that kind of like almost lynchian kubrickian feeling of of doom and right and tension and then you add to that the editing which there are certain sequences in this movie where um i i you don't see it a lot, but when I see it, I really appreciate it. When you have a scene introduced by the sound before the previous scene mm-hmm. ends. That happens a lot in this movie. Yeah, with, and it's done very effectively. With, with either music or dialogue. A right. lot of time it's... Or with the, the shooting, when they're shooting the, the yeah, ducks. Yeah, the guns. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the guns. I thought that was done really well. Um, if I had to pick anything to not like about this movie i think maybe the pacing is a little bit rough in the middle uh i think it it's a two-hour movie but it tends to sort of drag just a bit in because it's broken up scene or two it's broken up into chapters Mm. and i think that that it, it was good at the beginning i was like in the flow of it of like okay we're getting like these uh individual segments almost like suspiria like yeah. the different yeah, acts yeah. uh but here we get eight different segments and i think that that i don't know that didn't quite click for me um just because it's not it's not like common to see a movie broken up into eight parts yeah yeah no it was a very get, odd like, amount yeah, for you, them to break it up into, yeah it's it's a um, weird number i um yeah go ahead oh well i was going to say um a couple of things one i the thing is with that is I do think that it, maybe it could have been cleaned up, but I don't really know of like a certain scene or something that I would take out of the movie. Like it's hard to do like quick maths for this to make it better because <laughs> let's make this, this is insanely good. Movie yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but also another thing I wanted to point out that it's just, I kind of thought it was uh, funny that last week we talked about Buster Scruggs and then this week we talked about the favorite and both the Coen brothers and Lanthimos had this very bleak view of humanity yeah and comedic like, as well yeah very but like yeah i mean they're very comedic i mean of course this isn't as like a blood fest like buster scruggs was yeah yeah but um both of these uh directors have shown throughout like their filmography so far that they don't exactly have a lot of hope in the human race mm-hmm. yes um and i or think the current that, state of things yeah, yeah exactly i just kind of thought that that was um, interesting yeah this 
movie in particular made me a, a believer in Yorgos. Uh, I haven't seen Sacred Deer. The Lobster I really like, but I wasn't sure what it's too else. Weird. I I just the, it was the writing. Yeah. Honestly, it was so so understated that I was like, at a certain point, I was like, I get it. Oh, I don't know if you'll like Sacred Deer then, because Sacred <laughs> Deer is like that to another level. It okay, so Sacred Deer was the first Lanthimos film that I saw, and for the first ten minutes, I was like, is this bad? <laughs> because everybody, they all just talk like this. Yeah. Everybody is very well. That's what I was. Everything. That's what I feared with this movie. But the trailer, there's a, even in the trailer, there's a lot of acting, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's what I like. I there are performers going balls out in this movie like emma stone is just killing it i love emma stone and i wanted to really see her go for it and she does in this This movie. is one of the best performances i've seen from her oh and yeah she just won an oscar for la la land yeah and this is her next project or I, I guess technically maniac is her next project but this is her next movie yeah and i think she might give a better performance than this than yeah, la yeah. La this land. is the best i've ever <laughs> seen of rachel weiss this puts olivia coleman on the fucking map oh yeah um and Okay, so, yeah, we were getting back into issues. My only issue I could possibly bring up, uh, because the ending is going to be an issue for a lot of people, um, the very, very ending. Mm-hmm. That didn't bother me too much. I love the, the end. The beginning of the third act is when I was feeling a little bit of what you're talking about. Yeah, and it wasn't, a little bit of a drag. It wasn't just that it was a pacing issue. It was, it kind of, it broke uh, kind of like one of the first rules you learn if you take a film class where scenes became a little bit redundant. Like, you know what I mean? It was it was just where like there would be about three scenes where the same conversation was had in succession. Yeah, I uh, I know what you're getting at, um, and I do kind of uh, agree with both of y'all's sentiments. But I think that the saving grace for me was the humor, and that's what saved this movie from dragging too much. Is yeah. that what would be an otherwise like a pointless scene is saved because it's just like hilarious well, and that's, like this yeah, that's very like deep twisted yeah. kind of a way yeah we are not talking uh deal breakers yeah no, <laughs> i uh, i really think we should get into spoilers so i'll, I'll give my my final thoughts I, I think this movie is amazing i'll give it a nine very close to a ten it's not perfect i think it could have uh it, it i love that it's a, a, a mainly female cast that's yeah. amazing uh, it could have used maybe a, a couple ethnic people here and there but it is you know period accurate it's, to yeah, Victorian england, england. I mean, um other than that, I I loved I loved it. I, you know, thinking back to Buster Shrugs last week and our conversation about Netflix and watching movies at home, I'm I'm so glad that I saw this on the big screen. Same. You know, that's the, something that I'm not gonna like. I can't get that taken yeah. away. So so everything from the sound design to the the again, I mentioned these lenses, these wide lenses that make the sets envelop the actors and and just these really exaggerated wide wide lenses that make the 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 background just curve around the actors it's amazing i i love this movie i recommend it if uh you know i I think it's gonna roll out yeah it's getting a slow release i think that's gonna get it released into all theaters next week um because right now it's in limited release i mean shout out to the nz and then we get to see it this week but um yeah, no, go see this movie. I'd also give it a nine. I think that I actually, which I don't know if I've ever said this for period piece movies, especially Victorian uh, period piece movies, but I really want to rewatch this like right away. Mm-hmm. I was like, I cannot wait to rewatch this movie again. Like it just has this infectious uh, trait to it that yeah. is 
compelling from a dramatic perspective, but then also so dark and flat humor, which is just my favorite type of humor. And, and that watch I'm it again. For it. And watch it again for the details in the background yeah. of the shots. I could in just the sit there. Set. I just could just pause the screen whenever we go to Queen Anne's room and just like look at this the soaring tapestry yeah, and her walls. walls. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't talk shit about this movie. It was unbelievable. This is the type. Of, there's some movies that make you want to go out and make a movie. This movie made me want to curl up in a ball and <laughs> shoot myself because it was so good. You're like, I can't. I'm yeah. going to make that. I was like, so. sorry. Your, man, Yorgos really, like, he's Greek. We don't have a lot of Greek filmmakers. No. Like, yeah. born in Greece. If you couldn't guess from the most Greek name of all time, <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, yeah, he was born in Athens. He went to school for film in Greece. Yeah, nice. and he's a, just a twisted little fucker. Yeah, no, it's cool that he's, he a, actually, he's a little weirdo. He came. F- <laughs> he actually like is true from Greece. It's not like he was born there and then like came to America. Yeah, well, he's I mean, no Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> <laughs> and Greece, Greece, I mean, it makes sense that he would kind of be like this. Greece has some darkness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Greece has some, <laughs> some history, some fucked up shit going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, this movie really shocked me. I didn't honestly, like I thought he was one of the most interesting directors we had. And now I think he is one of the best directors we have. I think this is a leap for him. This is a big leap. How old is Yorgos? Do you guys know? 40s. Okay. He's in, he looks like Roy from the office. He does. Look he looks like so, Roy. he yeah. looks so unassuming <laughs> and he, and then like inside that noggin, it's just like a little stinker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited for whatever he does in the future. I hope he continues on this thread of, Instead of like the, I, you know, the little tonal, like understated stuff. So his, I like it, but his age on Wikipedia says age 44 to 45. Nice. He doesn't have a birthday. It's just he's born 73. Apparently, apparently he he's he was born <laughs> in May of 73. OK, oh, okay. So, so 45. 45. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this guy is he is promising. And I have not seen Dogtooth yet, but if this yeah, films of his that I have seen, if they're saying anything, then he has a definite tone that he brings to his films. And I'm I'm glad I was I was a little worried that he didn't write this because I love Lobster and Sacred yeah. Deer so much. But I'm glad that he didn't because it kind of freed him up a little bit, Definitely. you know, not sticking to his really strange style of writing. Yeah. It made for a much more interesting and dynamic film. Yeah, because it's, it's still really good. It still has quite a sensibility to it. It's not just like some movie that he was like, let me make this weird. It was already a very deeply weird movie and he made it way better than yeah. it already was, which was already good. This is just an ideal situation. Like this movie was so fascinating. Okay. Let's get to spoilers yeah. for the favorite starting now. Uh, so I do have a, a quick maths idea. Okay. So okay, first I'll backtrack and I'll you know obviously recap that the the central theme here of a lesbian love triangle is not only a huge surprise for me. I didn't know that going <laughs> in, but so like expertly handled because it plays into the themes of of the power dynamics here perfectly. Yeah. Um, but. Um, I do think that one of the central questions here is, did Sarah and the Queen actually love each other? Did they actually love each other? And, um, well, I want to give my quick maths real quick. And I think that uh, it would have been cool. Uh, I I don't know if this would have actually been better. It would have made for a better film or not. But I think that everything that was being set up in the first half of the movie, I was expecting it to 
end on a little bit of a violent note because they were working they were uh they introduced the guns and there were certain lines between olivia and abigail were uh or sorry uh sarah and abigail where sarah was basically telling her like oh you're good you're becoming a good shot like yeah. like it was kind of teeing off that idea definitely of, and there's of that whole shooting. scene of her shooting without loading the gun or without actually loading exactly it exactly died. so i thought that the fact that Sarah was actually in love with the queen and like truly, truly loved her. And you know, both things can be true. They could have been in love and Sarah liked being in power. Yeah. It it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. People that love each other use each other. Yeah. So I think um, the poisoning scene could have been traded out with some sort of duel gone wrong some sort mm. of, of event with the shotguns where one of them dies i i don't know exactly which one would have bit the bullet but maybe uh abigail would have murdered sarah mm. and sarah would have like well and okay. it instigated the uh the attack because of her love for the queen yeah. and her jealousy so okay. i'm i'm kind of into that i did i enjoyed the poisoning sequence like i, I I enjoyed Rachel Weiss coming back with the scars and looking like Jack. Oh, that was cool looking like Jack like. Sparrow. Yeah. <laughs> um. Here's yeah. Here's where I ran into an issue because we have the first two acts. I thought they had an incredible momentum, humor, a build of uh, tension, a build of drama, and just you know every scene you're just like, uh, in it like a really dark way, fascinated. You're like, what in the hell is yeah. happening? <laughs> um. So when Rachel Weiss comes back. I thought that the game of the movie would change, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. The game of because every any comedy has a game to it. The game of the comedy was the competition, and so she gets back. She looks totally different. She is different, and then the game remains. The game remains. Which one are you going to choose? I thought for some reason I just thought there would be a shift in focus at that point, um, and. There wasn't, and, and that's kind of when the movie like well, drags a little. That's bit for that's me. when I could tell my audience was kind of that was the first part where everyone was not leaning forward in their mm-hmm. seat anymore because the rest of it was so captivating that even it was still good. It just it that's where we got two or three scenes where it's just them talking to Queen Anne and being like, "Hey, it's me. I love you." And then the other one's like, "Hey, I love you." And it's like, "Yeah, we did that in Act One and Two. Yeah. We already got it." Um, that's the only thing I could possibly fault. Yeah, I. I I get where you guys are coming from. Um, going back to your point about them do about them actually loving each other. That's one thing that I did really love about this movie is because all of these characters feel like real people, and that they all have not only very clear motives, but I think that they're all redeemable at a certain level. Like I do think that Sarah does actually love the Queen, even yeah. if she is pretty brutally honest with her at points um i think that chokes Emma Sto- her at one point <laughs> yeah i think that emma stone's character is redeemable in that like she came from nothing yeah. and she is willing to do whatever it is to she, scratch and claw her way well, up to the top she's the most villainous oh though. without a doubt yeah definitely yeah. but i definitely yeah i totally agree that is uh one of the saving graces whenever you think the movie's going too far you can think well you know she was sold as a child yeah. so she is mm-hmm. gonna be fucked yeah. up that's the theme that is touched on a lot which victorian movies don't touch on enough compared like we live regardless of everything horrible that's happening on earth to to live in a developed country right now is the best life anyone has ever had oh, yeah. on earth in terms of lifespan 
uh, trauma. There is still plenty of trauma to go around. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to put anyone down. But in Victorian England, everyone was deeply fucked up because yeah. they were sold by their father or they had 17 miscarriages or, you know, they, they just got shot for no reason or what the fuck ever. Like, or they got pneumonia and then they died. Poisoned. <laughs> like, it's just, it was absurd to live back then. And that's touched on a lot. Like, it, it, it doesn't shy away like a Jane Eyre type movie does. Mm-hmm. I hated the Jane Eyre movie. Because <laughs> the book gets into the darkness. The movie w- did not at all. And the movie, it made a lot of choices that this movie did not fall into um, and I, I just appreciated that so much. It touches on like, hey, all of these people went have gone through unfathomable things compared to anything yeah. that we've been through. I but, think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think the 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 scene where because you were talking about like a a, a change in the game, a, mm-hmm. a, a switch in the dynamic. I think that definitely happens when. Uh, Abigail hooks up with the queen for the first time. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that a big Sarah shift. walks in and... Yeah, like that that moment where we kind of finally have Abigail like in bed with the queen, that is when the game changes. And I think you're right. It would have been cool to have that switch happen a second time uh, for the third act. Um, I just think that, you know, the that that kind of switch happened early enough in the film so that towards the end not getting a second switch kind of like made the second half of the film seem a little bit worse compared to the first because of that kind of that's yeah that's kind of what i'm getting at i don't i kind of like um i mean even though she is the most villainous character i kind of like uh abigail ending up on top of this whole thing because she played the game better like she it's it doesn't come down to who actually loves somebody and everything else about who it's about who plays the game the best yeah it's a a game of thrones really like it's about who is actually willing to step in and say the right things and do the right things and then well and then we can get into the ending now because with the ending we realize maybe she isn't on top we realize that she's now stuck yeah well (laughs) she's stuck in this situation but I just wanted to say the most like upsetting scene in the movie is when Abigail, when the queen's sleeping and Abigail just puts her foot on the rabbit. And I was like, oh my God, which I mean, of course, I mean, with the lobster and killing of a sacred deer, like animals played like a big portion of the, of uh, Yorgos's movies. And that was just, I was like, this is a Yorgos movie. This could go anywhere. She might just like I mean, stomp on this fucking rabbit right yeah, now. Yeah, speaking of going anywhere, another choice I loved is like, you know, it's one scene and then there's a small time jump. And then the next scene, uh, Queen Anne just has a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> like she is, she has had a stroke yeah. at yeah. that point. Um, yeah, I, I really, I loved, I, I just love kind of everything about this movie. I don't. Well, the, the rabbits, the, the bunnies. Yeah, um, we got to get into that. So the. She has basically a bunny for every miscarriage or dead child. Seven, yeah, 17 bunnies for 17 dead 17 children. 17 kids and counting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they they obviously symbolize trauma. Mm-hmm. And this movie deals with trauma a lot. That's kind of what I'm, I'm talking about with this but, theme. And also power and control. I yeah. think that, yeah. that her her having these bunnies makes it so she feels like she's in control yeah you know the the miscarriages were out of her control and now the bunnies are in well yeah and it's in this movie in a larger uh scale addresses how trauma impacts control how you can be controlled once you have experienced trauma like this woman has gone insane she is full on full-blown dementia like yogurt brain 
and um, her her illness, which is what like some sort of polio. Yeah, she has some kind of leg something. thing going on, and it's just yeah, it's she, not explicitly. Yeah, but she has yeah, she has a worsening condition throughout the movie, um, and this movie addresses how that type of trauma emotional physical any of it leaves you vulnerable to be exploited and it it addresses something i love which is like maybe she wanted to be exploited so because she enjoyed the attention she explicitly says that in the movie um also i don't know if you guys got the same reading as i did from it um which i've had this reading before with yorgos but specifically in this one they almost have this like animosity or uh antipathy for like the male genome where like he always kind of ends up more sign because men are always about sex or about just like pure control. And usually he kind of goes with, uh, the female side as more as a, uh, more of a, um, yeah. Dynamic viewpoint, which in this, it kind of turns it on its head because you see all the men in this movie are complete idiots. Yeah. Like they're all just oh. so stupid. Dude, Nicholas and Holt is so what's, funny. What's great about it is that it's like men are treated as like, stupid people looking for control and women are treated as people who are smart and know how to get controlled the the correct way yeah the easiest way definitely i I thought that that was fascinating to kind of see that dynamic because that's something that you can find in real life like men are always kind of going for like pure strength and power and what they try and how to get like they they try and get control by force. Yeah, I mean you're you're definitely right about that. That's something explored like very in depth. I mean, talking about the living conditions of back then, living conditions for a lot of people still now and up to every generation until now it was more common. There are scenes in this movie where Emma Stone has outsmarted Nicholas Holt and then he just pushes her. Yeah, yeah, and, and he is one. Yeah, because that's just how it's been throughout all of history. Like it doesn't matter how smart you were as a woman, you could just get fucking killed. Easily. One of the, one <laughs> of the one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he comes into her bedroom and she's just like laying on the bed and she's just like are you going to rape me and he's like please i'm a gentleman he's just like all right go ahead and rape me then yeah that's the the other guy yeah that's her uh that's the the suit oh isn't oh that wasn't Holt. yeah so okay okay. that's a great scene because (laughs) basically the the other guy is like taking advice from nicholas holt as to like how yeah. to court a woman <laughs> and this and guy's also puts, a dumb shit like he he's puts on oh same, joe alwyn that's his name yeah he puts on the exact same wig <laughs> the with the crazy makeup. fucking yeah. makeup and she's just like you look you look ridiculous please like, your mascara is running <laughs> I, so good. yeah he's a, he's a dunderhead they're all I, fucking dunderheads i did like the the sequence of them wrestling in the leaves in the forest i yeah. thought that was that was, yeah. that was really well done. that was fast it was just a great little because you know what's happening like it's a great little love scene but it also reflects like the predatory nature of relationships in general back yeah. then and it was good for emma stone's character yeah, too because it, you see that she's not some frail little idiot yeah she's willing to fucking kick him in the balls exactly if she has to. despite being a maid yeah she is powerful uh she knows how to wield that power and he's into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i mean my favorite scene with that guy is when he's just sitting there blowing like vape rings basically <laughs> yeah. he's basically just ripping a jewel in the corner while she's like scheming like i think i have to kill her yeah then he's he like says what? something and she's like shut up i'm thinking yeah yeah <laughs> i'm thinking out loud and that that whole little subplot has an amazing payoff where she has finally become a lady and she's at this dinner getting drunk flirting with other men like yeah. basically cucking him and he's off 
off to the side just like watching her getting drunk sit on other dudes laps like she doesn't care at all about him she just used him so that she could gain her ladyship back yeah no she got it so that's kind of he served his purpose um no, I, I want to talk about the dance scene. Oh, so good. Everybody, it, it's always a thing in period pieces, them like inserting a dance number Ooh. for like no fucking reason whatsoever. It's like, oh, look at these big ball dresses. Isn't this so wonderful? Yeah. And here it's just like they start doing like this weird like Goof. break dancing kind Goof, of a thing. Goofy fucking dance. It was so good. It was, I loved it. Slapstick. It was a slapstick like comedy scene. throwing their arms up in the air while they dance towards the queen totally on their knees. serious too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that kind of relates back to what I said about the di- how the dialogue isn't period specific. It's it has a modern sensibility. Mm-hmm. It's the same with that dance scene. They didn't worry too much about like being exactly how yeah. they dance because we don't care. Yeah, nobody and, cares. And you could trick us, and we wouldn't know. For all we know, they talked like how they talk in this movie. Like with you know, obviously some exceptions, but we don't need the exact like a replica of what it was like back then because it was boring. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he spiced it up, and the writers spiced it up. And they deserve a lot of credit with that. Right after that scene, that I love that scene, but right after is probably my favorite scene in the movie, which is the queen set, like yells, stop, stop this, and Sarah wheels her back to her room, and we see, oh, that's what this movie is about. Because they start making out, and the queen is like, I want you to fuck me. Yeah. yeah. And they hook up and Emma Stone, Abigail, is in the room mm-hmm. looking oh, well, that's, through the... that's earlier on in the movie when they have that dance sequence. The dance sequence happens at the wedding or like after they're already married, Who? I believe. Who Who's married? After uh, Emma Stone's, after... No, no. The Am wedding, the wedding oh, okay. is way later in okay. the movie. No, this, the, the, this, uh, the dance is very early in the film. And right after that, we get the reveal that, like, they're lesbians and they love each other and they're banging. Yeah. And, and it's such a well-done scene because not only are you having that dynamic play out, but you also have the tension of Emma Stone being in the room well, and yeah. trying to get out without being spotted. It's yeah. so well done. I'm, uh, yeah, so credit to Yorgos for, like, trusting the actors, but Emma Stone is... Her face in that scene. Yeah, it's oh. so... She is... So, like, whenever a scene calls for a laugh, she gets it just from her face, mm-hmm. just from doing one little twitch of the of the mouth or whatever. Yeah. Whenever it calls for Turn drama, yeah, like, she does everything to a T in this movie. Every actor does, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's just perfect across the board. Um, and I'm starting to realize why I love this movie so much. And it's because of scenes like that. This movie juxtaposes extremely basic comedy setups and puts it in the middle of an amazing movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like someone being in the and room. And it's never jarring. A character in the room while two people are fucking and like tr- <laughs> like sneaking out. That's in everything ever. Yeah. Like it's it's the biggest You're trope right. ever. And I, we didn't even really notice that it was hack because it's in the middle of this beautifully shot, incredibly acted, well written. And it's in the middle of a scene that you are also shocked by. And so you don't even notice that you're also laughing at the most basic comedy premise. And there's so many other moments like that. Like when Emma Stone starts banging her face with the book Uh and her nose is bleeding and then she's like pretending to be hurt. Or I guess she is hurt, but like putting on an act for for the queen. Yeah. It's it's full of moments like these. Do you guys have a favorite scene in the movie? Favorite (sighs) moment? That's tricky. Uh, God, it's... 
I don't know. It's so hard to like pick out one nothing, specific nothing scene. Mind, I mean, there's there's a couple of like uh, specific moments. I mean, of course, that one scene where it is established, like, oh, they're lesbians. That's what's happening here. That was kind of an enlightening scene. I also just love the way that looked at one point when um, uh, earlier on in the movie when Emma Stone is following the. Uh, um, I think that that's whenever he's following oh yeah the, the boy character. Yeah. And he's like falling down the hallway. He's like, no, are you it's, following it's me? It's the other guy. It's oh, okay, the, it is yeah. the other guy, it's the, the suitor guy. Yeah. Um, just like, are you following me? And then she's just like, well, now you're following me. You're walking behind me, so you're following yeah. me. You yeah, yeah. About? Well, <laughs> so before before we wrap up, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the the last shot because I think this, this is going to be a, a a much talked about topic, and I think oh, that that's it encapsulates not only what you were saying earlier about the power dynamics and like how. Uh, the queen uh, is delirious and crazy and sick, but she still is the queen and she still controls mm-hmm. Emma Stone. And Emma Stone, she's now a lady. She has all of these riches and new power, but she's and still she rubbing her legs. Mm-hmm. And this beautiful cross-cutting between their two faces and then the bunnies. So I think I was kind of scratching my head as to like, what is the bunnies? But I think the bunnies are just like, they just signify control. Well, yeah. and they're and they're also trauma and yeah, and trauma, coping, exactly. coping mechanism. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah, that took a lot of thinking. And when I came out of my thoughts about that shot, I I loved it. Um, yeah, because I really didn't even understand. Like I think my girlfriend Allison had to point out she was like, well, Emma Stone didn't win. Like she's stuck. She she Rachel she... Weiss gets to live in a different country with money forever. Yeah, which is what she wanted. She didn't even like doing what she was doing, and now Emma Stone is doing it. Like, and I think the moment with the letter when Emma Stone burns Sarah's letter, I think that's when she realized because she reads the letter, right? Yeah, I think that's when she realizes that oh, I'm stuck. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah got to yeah. She well, like, to and escape, also at and least now the at least one. Sarah, I think, genuinely did love the queen and yeah that's her, i think abigail that's, does not i think maybe that's whatsoever. why abigail cries too yeah because she realizes yeah, that she oh knows. they loved each other she knows it wasn't a good trade yeah. yeah um yeah basically no one gets what they want except rachel weiss which is the one person you're dead sure is lost and yeah. then you really think about it and you're like she kind of won like when when the post when they all come to like extradite them out yeah, of the country she's happy. she knows she's like oh I, you know i think we should leave the country and i i love that uh, little dialogue first of yeah. all but it just it was so fascinating because it's an it's an almost an argument of who won the movie yeah. at that point because you're like well the queen's still the queen but she's so fucked honestly i just have <laughs> to quickly say i'm so glad i whenever she gets like taken away to some hostel i thought the movie was gonna take a really fucking dark turn yes for her, she didn't get I'm raped. glad that it did not congrats Rachel. i'm glad a good job on that you were you're severely mutilated but you did not get raped <laughs> yeah i i was surprised to see her live honestly because uh, like i said earlier i thought the movie was going to take a deathly uh, turn and, and she survives and she ends up uh making it out alive so i i but i do i love that there is a very complex ending to this movie I, that's why i almost like i feel like a complex shot to end the movie kind of lends itself perfectly to the themes at the end of the movie where you have these like cross-cutting of like three different shots on the screen at once and it creates kind of this mixed feeling inside of you of discomfort that, in the same way that yeah. you are unsure on what exactly is next for these characters. If yeah. And what is happening in Abigail's head, too, right. because mm-hmm. she's so manipulative that we never really know she what gets she's power, getting at. but at what well, cost? And then, really? again, Emma Stone, in that single shot, 
goes through like the seven stages of grief. Yeah. <laughs> like and and it, she doesn't even move her face except for her eyes. The, the only it's scene insane. I, the only scene I think where she's actually genuine is the the scene where Nicholas Holt is throwing oranges at James Corden mm. and James Corden it's <laughs> not that, act, yeah, what's that James Corden not actually but, shout okay. out to fake James Corden <laughs> yeah that's basically what his show but, is but such then, a good scene I, I completely forgot about but, that scene but then uh, Nicholas Holt and Emma Stone have that conversation in the hall and Emma Stone basically says like you know I'm playing my own game and maybe sometimes it'll line up with your game or something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're getting an insight into yeah, like, how Yeah, she's just like, I thought you were on my side. And he, well, she's like, no, I'm on my own side. Honestly, her and Nicholas Holt would make a great couple. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they're very well, they similar. Well, kind of, they kind of end up, like, working together. Yeah, yeah. Despite their... And she's stuck with this frat bro. <laughs> um, but, yeah, her character's... I mean, how could you... That's the thing is you think she's so irredeemable. And then you're like, well, how could she be capable of trust and love when she was sold into a rape gang, essentially, like she was sold by her yeah. father. How could she be anything but what she is? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love that. I don't know. There is no genuine villain, even though she is the villain of the movie. And Queen Anne is a villain, but she's also had 17 miscarriages. She's also, yeah, she's a really tragic and, character. And she also has dementia. And she loves Sarah. <laughs> I'm sure I... And yeah, sure they loved each they, other. They they very much loved each other. There's that great little line about uh, with from Rachel Weiss about like I would never lie to you, and mm-hmm. that's what love is. Exactly. Um, and the first scene when she's showing her the castle that she wants to give her, uh, the the Sarah says that she doesn't want it. You yeah. know, like she wants she likes the power, but she doesn't want the riches because she wants to be with the queen because she loves her. Yeah. It it was yeah. There's I mean there's too much to like it with this yeah. movie. All I, right, we got so we I do want to say. This is not this is his most accessible movie. Like that's not saying it's accessible at all. Yeah. <laughs> there I'm a lot of people will not like this movie and a lot of people will be on board until the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will jump off the train at the end because yeah, the last couple it minutes. is yeah because it's confusing. It is not completely clear what's going on. Doesn't tie everything in a neat bow. And yeah, yeah. and and it's very intentional. And the re- the way you can tell that is a the shot is about a minute long, um, and then it cuts to black. And then the well, bl- it fades. To well, black. well, it fades to black. But then the blackness is a question mark. The yeah. blackness lasts for another fifteen seconds because he's saying. Think about that. Do you really think that I'm going to end it right here? Yeah, that's right. I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he is he is begging you to be confused by the ending. Like mm-hmm. it's it was very intentional. So it's it's fine that people got off board at that point. I expect it. I wouldn't blame anyone for getting off board at that point. If you don't watch movies to be challenged, then that's totally fine. Yeah, I this is going to be in my top five of the year. I think it's in my top this three, is, man. Yeah, like, like this is the more and even like talking about it now, it's just like wow, this movie is yeah. Might be. Like I just. The best I hope I get a chance here. to see it again. I really want to see it. Yeah. Again. I don't. I just. I don't want people to go in expecting something that's just kind of like an e- like an easy comedy oh, to watch. Not at all. Even yeah. like they might think, oh, it's going to be weird. This is a really weird movie. Yeah. There's a scene where Queen Anne is just munching down cheese and puking, <laughs> and then it cuts to the next scene. No dialogue. <laughs> all right. Let's let's wrap it up. Um, you can find more episodes of We Bought a Mic by. Following us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at We Bought a Mic. Where can we find you guys on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Larabox at Hunt Mobley. Um, I've been. Uh, you can watch, check out my uh, full review of uh, Schindler's List nice. on there, and also my updated uh, end of the year list. Nice. 
Drew? Uh, Letterboxd at Drew D. You may notice I recently made my watch list private because Colin roasted me for it. Because What? Because it's embarrassing. They're, <laughs> like People would find out that I'm a fraud. Yeah, you basically. put Bohemian Rhapsody at number one. No, my watch list. Not my watched, my to watch. Oh, I had okay. to make it private because it has some movies on there that you'd be like, Jesus, yeah. you're on a film podcast, you fuck. Hey, man, you, we don't have time to watch everything. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, The Godfather, who gives a shit? Oh, uh, Hunter's gone, so we can finally get into the real podcast. <laughs> Sports All right. betting. All right, and I'm at Calderness on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, well, don't follow me on Facebook. Leave me alone. And uh, Letterboxd, I think next week we are going to try to see Roma. Uh, well, okay, I think we might have to choose between Roma and Spider-Verse. So maybe what we'll do is we'll do Spider-Verse next week and then Roma the week after that. I, I mean, I'm super excited for both of these. We're having such an end-of-the-year surge in quality movies. Oh, yeah. There was a big Aquaman? gap. Aquaman? Wow. There were, like, month-long periods where we saw a bunch of shit this year. <laughs> like, it's been rough. Yeah. And uh, I'm really I'm really excited for the end of the year. Yeah. Like, it's going to be uh, great. It's, it's gearing up. Um, going to try to catch up on TV, too. Mrs. Maisel, oh, Killing Eve. Dude, my list is absurd of things. Because now, finally, the things from the beginning of the year, like, first reform that i missed you can oh, find that shit, if yeah. you don't know audience it's on amazon prime it's yeah if you have prime what you probably do it's free yeah first reform one of the movies of the year it's going to be talked about like watch it it's it's an amazing film um but yeah um all right well thanks for listening we will catch you next Dolby. time Teeth deep in this belief a bunch of people peep the pose we got pros we got cons on the road on patrol, we leave heater bombs on they toes. Welcome to the village where my river runs near alone. High ceilings, bomb ripping, white villains, technician hype dealings. I crack my window ceiling, she cracked that wishing pillin'. I swear this shit feel like Jesse Jackson with the pipe.